0: This is Linux Unplugged, a very special holiday edition of the show for 2016. Oh, Welcome to Linux Unplugged, the show that promises to be the best of, but how could it actually deliver? My name is Chris on a very special edition of the show. We decided to give people the week off and by people I mean everybody but the beard and I because this is our collection our look back at 2016 for the Linux Unplugged program and how could you encapsulate this show in one single best of it can't be done and let's be honest I'm too busy thinking about the presents for my kids to think about this so we pawned it off onto a bunch of bots they were powered by the Google Compute Cloud they just had to analyze our inboxes for like a year and then they came up with the best of topics for us, into a spreadsheet, which uh, I have right here. And now we're going to formulate that into a show for you. What could go wrong? Some of that is actually true. Some of that is actually true. No, coming up on this week's episode, we'll go back over the year for Linux Unplugged, pick out a few of the gems, and see if we can spot a few of the trends, too. You know, that virtual lug, never know. you never know what you're going to get. It's a random mix. The show really is fairly unstructured. When we launch into a Linux Unplugged episode, we have a brief outline of what we want to cover. But the good stuff is always kind of spontaneous. It's the juicy stuff. So let's look at this list, see what the Google bots have come up with, and see what might be a little interesting. Now, I'm looking through. I see a couple of things. Let's start out here with a server in your pocket. We can start talking about Mate, and then the classic debates of the traditional desktop versus Unity versus GNOME begin, Marking the first of many debates for 2016.
1: Um, so, Wimpy, I'm I'm interested uh, to some degree to get your perception because Ubuntu Mate is is one of those uh, is one of those distros where I I have not, to the best of my knowledge, found a single thing that when as when using Ubuntu Mate where it makes me feel like I'm on a, on on an alternative desktop from uh, from standard Ubuntu everything. Just wor- I mean, literally everything just works. In fact, so much so that I actually all of the production machines that I have here in Grand Forks, um, with the exception of the one I'm on now, but all the rest of them are actually running Ubuntu Mate because it runs lighter than it does with Unity. And I'm wondering, you know, what kind of considerations went into that, and 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 how you guys feel about that, and um, and how that plays out.
2: Well, Ubuntu Mate is just Ubuntu. In fact, it is Ubuntu. Um, when you when 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 you boil it down, you simply—I say simply—it's taken a year and a half to do. You you remove Unity and you put the Mate Desktop on top, but then you keep all of the Ubuntu tools and integrations that already exist underneath the hood, which is what gives you all of that stability and just works goodness of Ubuntu on a traditional desktop environment. So, and one of the reasons why Mate is lighter than, um, Unity is that it's based on Gnome 2 with all of the old compatibility stuff from Gnome 1 removed and all of the underpinnings upgraded to the latest versions of all the recent technologies. um, and it's all written in C, so it's a very lightweight implementation by you know by comparison to what it was um, when it was GNOME two in its sort of last versions. So um, it's kind of happenstance in some respect that respects that Mate has now come out as a, a lightweight desktop alternative.
1: Outstanding. Um, anyone else have have uh, have thoughts or opinions on desktop environments and? Sure.
3: I, I sorry if my audio is terrible. I'm in America for scale. Um, uh, so there's a few things. One, whenever anyone says I'm one of the few people who like Unity, I want to slap them because there I are millions that. of people who use Unity. Okay, Watch and, out at scale. Watch out at scale, Noah. Yeah. And, and you know, saying I'm one of the few people. What actually is the case is there are a few really negative uh, people who don't like it and who are very vocal, and there's a vast number of people who use it and aren't vocal. So, you know, saying you're one of the few people, you should actually say I'm one of the majority who like Unity. To be fair, um, so the uh, the original question, you know, from the guy posted on Reddit was about, you know, why don't we just use GNOME? You could use that same argument about every single desktop. Why don't you all just all pack up and go home and use something else? Is effectively what you're saying. And every single desktop has their own um, niche that they want to fulfill or use cases that they um, address that others don't like you know for example elementary have their um, uh, niche with, it's not so much a you know, niche I would like to have a you know well-designed pretty robust you know functional desktop uh, that sounds like a reasonable thing and and so you know that I think it's unreasonable to suggest that that people who are working on those things should throw that away and use something else instead. Um, You might just as well say, why don't KDE give up and switch to no? it's It's a nonsensical argument from my point of view.
1: That's fair. Um so uh, basically and I admit that this is a horrible horrible thing to uh, to base a generalization on but there was, <laughs> I, I'm admitting that up front but there is there it was a couple months ago maybe even a year ago that we did a poll um a straw poll and to find out what desktop environment people were using and I was shocked at how many people didn't vote for Unity and 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 Gnome shot way at to the top and and Unity was down there and I guess I've had that correct or uh, incorrect or correct um perception that uh that unity just wasn't preferred by a lot of the people that the uh, you know that that are aware of other desktop environments that are out there and i well, I fully admit that you uh, that you know work you know working in the space that you work in you're going to have a much 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 more realistic perception you know of what actually biased <laughs> well, completely biased
3: or and you should throw away my opinion completely and you should only listen to people who are outside of this bubble. Um, because they were their opinion won't be tarnished, uh, you know potentially is one side of it, but the flip side is any of these um polls are deeply flawed the same way that be- bearing uh using distro watch as your measure exactly how the same distro is it's ridiculous, and people who who place any importance on something which is basically. Um, a poll which can be shared amongst a, re- a subreddit which massively skews the numbers for any one distro, plus or minus, when in fact the actual people who use and like a particular desktop or user interface or application or whatever are ultimately never going to see that poll. My mum uses Ubuntu and has used Ubuntu for years. She will never see that poll and never click on anything in that poll saying that's exactly the point i was i was thinking is that however many millions of people in china use the uh, ubuntu desktop they're they're never going to see this because the thing's written in english for one so it's just ludicrous
4: we in particular also are a a community of you know linux enthusiasts and people who like customization i think some of unity's strengths is that it can be widely deployed and people it's pretty easy for people to just get it you know the icons are right there on the left you hit the super key, things just work. So it has a lot going for it. Like, like you said, you know, your mom can use it. My mom
1: uses it. It's it's great. Well, and we also have Unity is actually the default desktop on, all, well, not the default desktop. It's the only desktop uh, on the on all of our kiosk machines that we deploy. And so basically, if you think about the target audience there, it's we're taking people from all walks of tech of, of the technical spectrum and saying that no matter who walks in, if they sit down and they want to check their email, print a boarding pass. Or check the weather. They're going to be able to accomplish those things quickly, easily, and without complaining to the front desk. Because, of course, if they complain, then we lose the contract. And what we found is that little bar on the side of Unity, which, by the way, requires no tweaking and requires no extensions, which means we don't have to update anything. It becomes it is is incredibly useful in a situation like that, and so I agree that the average person walking around the street is going to sit down and have no trouble using Unity. And I think I even started out by saying I phrased it you know poorly, but the the gist of the message was it's my personal belief that that Unity is a more polished desktop than GNOME is, um, but uh, it, but for whatever reason, and maybe it is just that people are are terribly vocal. I guess there is a, there is there is a perception from from some people, that uh, there's a perception from some people that that the that the Unity desktop is inferior. Correct or incorrect?
3: Well, that's different. It's like uh, any any individual, like any Reddit consumer, uh, is entitled to have their opinion, and it's perfectly fine for someone to say Unity is inferior because of these X Y Z reasons. Mm-hmm. In the same way that someone might not like. Um, enlightenment, or someone might not like KDE because it doesn't work their workflow or the apps don't look right or, you know, for whatever reason, it's perfectly fine for people to have their opinions, you know, and like buttholes, everyone's got one. <laughs> the, the problem is when you try and extrapolate from a poll on a random website somewhere and make bold, assertive statements about whether something is right or wrong or whether something is good or bad based on a button clicked by a bunch of random people on the internet it makes no sense whatsoever to me but that's just me no i think that's completely fair let's
0: talk about my libram impressions what's the point of a perfect desktop if you don't have great hardware
4: okay wes you had some tan, some time to, to you know yes i it did up. you know it, it's a nice looking
0: laptop it is it feels good yeah it's
4: not too heavy it's reasonably well-balanced. It's metal, so
0: mm-hmm. that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. You
4: don't see that every day in the Linux laptop.
0: So what is missing, as far as I'm concerned, on the Librem 15? I will say there are some sharp edges on this that's thing. That's true. That's true. That is true. There's something missing, though, that's a pretty big deal to me. <laughs> Can you guess what it is? Mm. You're looking in the right area right now. You're, you're, you're warm. You're real warm, Wes. You're real warm. Well, there's no
4: CD drive, but I don't think that's no, what you want. No.
0: <laughs> You're right,
4: but that's not it's it. has got SD card, it's yeah. got USB, mm-hmm. it's got a DC in, that's mm-hmm. important. That is important. It's got some seemingly mysteriously unlabeled switches. Yes, it does. Unlabeled switches, hardware switches. It's yes. got HDMI. Yeah.
0: Hmm, I don't know. There's one port that's not there that's pretty important to me. Ethernet. <laughs> <laughs> oh! Yeah. yeah, there's no Ethernet. And the one I backed specifically did list Ethernet. That's it was a it was one of those like little RJ forty five drop down ports that like is oh, like oh, a half yes, port right. that, yeah that you have to like pry open pry open
4: before you can actually use uh-huh,
0: it that, but in the in the uh, crowdfunding version it did list Ethernet I don't I don't like being live on the air and relying on Wi Fi so that was a bit of a bummer uh, it was the the version I got the edition I got uh, no no Ethernet and I, I've tried to track down when the Ethernet kind of disappeared if it was a switch to Rev two or not but. The initial report of Rev2, it would have Ethernet, and then there was Mm -hmm. another post where it doesn't have a few links in the show notes. So I was a little – I – you know, I I,
4: um, – You'd have to probably use like a USB 3.0 adapter or something. uh,
0: Yeah, and it's one of those things where I – the only reason why I kind of mentioned it is because I wouldn't have bought it if it didn't have Ethernet because Ethernet is actually a pretty big deal to me. I actually like gigabit speeds, not 802.11 speeds. And you want low
4: latency for studio stuff anyway. Yeah, Exactly.
0: So uh, so that was, that was sort of my first impression. But outside of that, uh, the, the metal coloring, like, this, not a, this is not a small thing. Like, they nailed this. This yes. looks – mine is not the dark metal. Mine is like an exact – looks like a MacBook. It really does. Yeah, uh, metal, uh, which is pretty cool. Um,
4: yeah, it's not a bad-looking machine at all.
0: A couple other things, just first impressions that jumped out at me is uh, the version I looked at online. They had uh, – let's see if I can pull it up here for you. They, uh, 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 scrolling scrolling they show there it is there it is they show what they call the purism key which is the super key which is where the that windows key, sure everything's key. Pure, right? I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and open the laptop up which will wake it up so oh, you may you may oh, start hearing it uh Wes if if you could just take a look at the keyboard what what does that look like what key mm. does that super key to you look like a square to you or does that look like a windows key No to you? that
4: looks like the windows logo Chris yes
0: I was So I was a little surprised that
4: the Are keyboard... Are you running Windows
0: on there? Did it come with Windows?
4: No.
5: Mm. no.
0: I was a little surprised that the keyboard had a Windows key. Not a big deal, but I was expecting a hardware...
4: That's another thing. You're going to have to get one of those little penguin stickers. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and the other thing that's challenging about this is the specs that they list online do not match the specs that I was shipped because I, I got an older model. Uh, and and the the main thing that's really jumping out at me about this one, I don't know if you can hear it, Wes. What's that? Are you? Is it windy in the studio, Chris? No, Wes. Uh, I've woken the laptop up, and so it is. That's the sound it makes, mm. and it's it's loud enough, Wes, that uh, like you what walk into a, is that? that's, that's that's the, laptop. the fan. that's the laptop, and I don't I I, I, I got to tell you, you walk into a room and you can hear this thing. Yeah, definitely. I I heard it when I walked
4: into it's, the studio. In fact, this I'm, gonna,
0: I'm gonna put it to sleep again so the sound goes down. But it's very loud.
3: Are you holding it up to the microphone? It's and shaking close to it. it.
0: No, no. I'm. I. It's. Right. It's. No. It's. My mouth is much closer than the fan. Yeah. I now have it off. Uh, it's very quiet when it's off. So that's it, a it sounds like weird noise. It sounds like what other laptops make when they're like totally maxed out. Well, it might be a little weird because the gate is trying to specifically filter it out. Right. Um. Yeah. So that yeah, it sounds was, like
4: you're rendering a video or something, but.
0: So that sort of almost immediately eliminates it uh, for production use. Wes, however, brought over a mini screwdriver kit, and I'm considering opening the bottom of it and seeing if I can replace the fan. It's not driver control. Look, you know. I, so here's what I tried to do: is it ships with Purism OS, and I thought, and then, which is which is using Cinnamon for the desktop. Mm. And the nice thing about that is you can actually manage the trackpad. Uh, so I reloaded it with Ubuntu sixteen oh four. And you know, did all the installation, set everything up. The only proprietary driver in use is the Intel microcode stuff. Yeah, it's got uh, Broadwell Iris sixty one hundred graphics. Ooh, uh, that it's nice. yeah, it's a three gigahertz processor. There is nothing you can do thermal management wise about that fan. So I I I could not. There was no driver to load. There was no LM sensors command. There's nothing you can do. It is just hard set to full blast. It's wired just on maximum.
4: You probably won't have any overheating problems. <laughs>
0: yeah. So my hope is I'm going to pull off the bottom and see if I can replace that fan or, or whatever. I mean, with integrated graphics and whatnot, I just can't imagine it needs to be running like that. Um, so, Especially when uh, you're
4: not actively really doing it. I mean, you're uh, just thank on. you.
0: So FreeBSDSA says the email from four se- uh, 2715 states that the RG 45 was removed from Rev2. Yeah, yeah. Is there UFI settings for it? Perhaps. Uh, go ahead, Wimpy. You had a question regarding the fan noise. No, I've got a soli-
2: potential solution for oh, yeah. the fan noise. Mm-hmm. So, Entroware ran into this fan mm-hmm. noise problem when they were working on the same uh, line of machines, and it's a bug in the firmware from the ODM, and you may be able to work around this by holding the power down mm-hmm. for like 10 seconds and hard powering off the machine, and that may reset the system and the fans may correct themselves
0: okay so i'm holding it down right now chris i just went to sleep when i did that but uh actually just turned off instantly hmm yeah yeah that i'm willing to play around with uh that is that'd be great i did go through the bios and look for like thermal management settings and stuff like that i found i found nothing there um the trackpad let's talk about the trackpad i've heard some interesting things about the trackpad online it looks pretty big all right so i'm holding it down for 10 seconds now, see, the problem is it instantly turns off, and then nothing happens. Uh, the trackpad's big. It works well. The problem is is uh, both GNOME and Ubuntu, by default, they just only allow you to scroll on the very small side here.
5: Yes, yeah, right. If you
0: use Purism OS, it comes with Cinnamon, and Cinnamon's mouse control setting, control panel settings allow you to actually set, change it to two-finger scrolling, which works better. Keyboard's pretty good. The escape key on mine is a little mushy. doesn't always register. Mushy. Yeah, my escape key doesn't always register, so I have, sometimes have to hit escape twice. Um, <clears throat> which means sometimes I have to hit it four times. Yeah. Uh, so it's not awesome that way. But um, all right, I'm holding. I'm holding it down for ten seconds. We'll see what happens. Maybe grub. I'll hold it. I'll keep it at grub so it doesn't boot. All right. So I should be about five seconds in. This thing's really loud. Yeah, it is. Okay.
4: This might but, be like a workplace hazard.
0: Still running. It hasn't turned off yet. It's, I don't know if it's going to turn off. I feel like I've been holding um, it for, like, 20 seconds. Feels like it's been, like, been 10 minutes. Yeah, it's still gone. What?
2: I know Mike's listening. Mike, telegram me. There's <laughs> <laughs> something else we should be Did doing. Did it get quieter? <laughs> is it quieter now? I don't think so. No, no, what I was expecting is the machine should go off, and it's once it's off, you can then power it on again, and it, it, it may. It's not guaranteed it may. All right, may,
0: so I, I just let off and turn like it the fans on. No. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Your GQ was loose for so FreeBSDA you've yours. What what have been your initial impressions?
6: It's uh, not a bad piece of hardware. Um if I'd have seen it in the store before, backing it I probably wouldn't have bought it. The um all in all it is nice except for like I said the loose uh, G key and of course, when I'm uh, running something other than pure OS, I have trackpad problems that I'm going to work on.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been my experience too. Uh, performance, pretty darn good. Performance, how you, you you thought it's been pretty performant on yours?
6: Yeah, it performs uh, really well. I've uh, done some some full screen uh, Flash movies on it with no problem.
0: Now, Wimpy, you there? I guess sort of the trackpad has a bit of a, a bit of a of a rep. You know a little bit about some of its tricks already.
2: Yeah, there's um, there's no mainline Linux kernel support for the trackpad that's in the Librams. So there's been a few of us working on um, a driver for the for the BYD trackpad, and that's currently an out of tree patch. And what um, Purism are doing is shipping a bespoke kernel with PureOS has the full uh, touch gesture support. In Pure OS, but if you install any other version of Linux, then it will revert to a PS2 mouse.
0: Mm. Hence the weird scroll and stuff like yes. that. Ah. Uh, so I have I have a kernel patch I can <laughs> I can send. <laughs> wow. You. Take it back like ten this, years here. This I is think. not why you buy a laptop dedicated for Linux, though. You know.
2: No, that this is this is the point, and the other thing is. Um, you know when in the past you've you've talked about System76 don't just take the ODM equipment and stick their badge on it and ship it out the door. They actually work on, you know, firmware and BIOS enhancements and all the rest of it and get bespoke changes. Right. Yeah. This is the same sort of thing that Entroware have done. And they've overcome some of these issues that you're discussing now, like the fan, for example. And that doesn't seem to have happened here.
0: So here's the rig I got. <clears throat> Eight gigabytes of RAM, 500 gigabyte SSD, which I paid a little extra for. Mm. It's supposed to have a CD-ROM and DVD. It does not, uh, which I don't care about. I'm No no big deal. Yeah. But the, I'm looking at the specs I bought on Indiegogo. It is listed as having a CD and DVD-ROM. Um, it also ships with like a 65-watt adapter, which I'm not sure is actually enough it, oh, it takes a while to charge. The nice thing is that's kind of small. Um, I paid for a core. This is a three gigahertz Broadwell CPU,
5: mm-hmm.
0: Iris sixty one hundred graphics, eight gigabytes of RAM. I would have preferred sixteen. Eight gigabytes of RAM, nineteen twenty by ten eighty display. Mm. I paid one thousand eight hundred and twenty four dollars for this machine. If I was going to spend eighteen hundred dollars on a machine today, you guarantee you could guarantee it's going to come with Skylake. You could guarantee
4: probably it, at least 16 gigs
0: mm-hmm, of ram. Mhm. Mhm. Maybe dedicated graphics Maybe dedicated at $1800. Graphics. You might get that too. Now, is it going to be something that has hardware switches for a webcam? Is it going to have something that has hardware switches for the mic and stuff like that? I actually do really like that.
4: Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um,
0: and I also like the idea of supporting a company who is pushing the conversation about privacy and security forward, and it's their primary leading th- cause. So uh, it's those are things that my money went towards that I still like. It basically where I'm at right now with this thing is it has a strange USB-C port that I wasn't expecting. Yes, I saw that. That's interesting. I don't know. You see, it didn't come with any documentation. It just came. So there's no manual. There's no naked in the box, Uh, and a very generic box. Uh, In fact, when I got the box, I, I immediately started to feel like, oh no. Like I immediately started like this, it was starting to set my expectations low because the box was the fit and used, finish kind of thing. It had like five or ten other FedEx uh, uh, stickers on it, and there was no, there was not even like a like a brochure in the box. Right, it was no documentation, nothing. No thank you for backing our project. Sorry it took so long. Nothing. Um, and so that sort of was like eh, I'm a little worried about that. That all aside, though, like one of the things I would have liked to have had in the box is what is this USB C port? Because the one I backed doesn't have this port. The one I backed, it, where this port's at, where's an Ethernet port? So, uh, and is this USB? I, can I charge the device with yeah. this? Because it has a real USB. It has it's USB C with an electricity bolt. Does that mean I can? I could actually draw power from that port? Like, what does that do? And 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 I got nothing. I got no. I got no. I, there's also there's questions if this is actually HDMI 2.0 or not. I'm not mm-hmm. sure about that. Yeah. Um, those are issues. Have if you I can, tried
4: the SD card slot?
0: No. If I can, but I think the the other thing I like is it looks like perhaps that's a physical switch for the SD card slot. Oh Tur- wow! Per- perhaps physically turn it off. I'm not sure. If I could get this fan replaced, this is a pretty. I uh, the thing I do like about this is it is a. It is a damn unique one-off laptop. yes, it is and it looks pretty special wherever you are with it. it. It's a great showcase for a lot of really good stickers because it's completely unbranded all over. It really there's draws no, your
4: eye. there's no like big Mac logo or Dell logo.: No Intel or, sticker, no yeah. nothing.
0: in fact, the only sticker on it on the bottom is a UPC barcode, a small one, uh, and other than that, it is untouched. It is. It is a metal housing that is untouched. it feels good in the hand. It has that MacBook angular slope to it.: Yes, it does. Um, it's got one two. Three, four USB 3.0 That's ports plus the USB-C port. It's like four I, times as many on that Mac. HDMI out, and it has uh, headphones out, and it has an SD card slot reader. I like that. Mm-hmm. This, could, this could, you know, my XPS 13 doesn't have an HDMI port, or I'm sorry, doesn't have, a, have an Ethernet port either. Right. If I can get this fan fixed, this could replace the XPS for me. But it can't, I don't know if it can be a, a production machine without... The lightning bolt by the Type C port means it may support Thunderbolts, says North Ranger. Oh. Is that true, North? Is that is that really? Yeah,
7: a, thing? The, a, a lot of vendors, especially if you have a Broadwell system, um, are using an Intel add-on chip in the chipset uh, that provides not only Type C port, uh, Type C USB support, but also uh, 40 gig Thunderbolt. Things like external graphics cards. That I was would about be to say that, all that. Yeah. if
0: I could hook up. See, that would make me feel a lot better if I could hook up uh, a, a like a, a high-end Ethernet adapter to that USB C port. Uh, so here's uh, <laughs> here's FreeBSAs. Uh He sent this to me when he got his. There he was listening to episode 131, nice. of Unplugged, where we're like, "Where the hell is my laptop?" And there's this purism right there. Uh, what was your out of the box experience like, FreeBSD? Was it uh, was it the same kind of like r- rattle experience, or did you get? Some documentation. Did you get a nice? What was your initial experience like?
6: Yeah, documentation non-existent. Um, <clears throat> I haven't played with the hardware switches yet to figure out what they turn off, but it would be nice if there was some information. I even looked on the uh, hard drive to see if there was a documentation in, in the form of a PDF, and I don't see anything on there.
0: All right, so I'm turning it back on. I'm gonna I'm gonna check. Uh, when There's the, proof. Yeah. Wimpy wanted to know if uh, the the BIOS I I want to give uh, peers purism credit here. The BIOS is like every setting you could ever want to tweak is available. Oh, that's cool. Some OEMs, you know, when they like basically all of them, they really kind of limit down the BIOS. And this one, you know, you you can tweak everything from from, from overclocking to everything. So it's, it's that being said, there's so much in here, it actually takes a little while to find stuff. Uh, I'm looking through here right now and uh, I don't know if I see Bluetooth, chipset, security. Look at all this stuff, Wes. I mean, look at all, and all of these have submenus to them too. Like, there's just a ton of stuff in here. Yeah. What specifically are you looking for, Wimpy?
2: Um, does it have a Bluetooth device in it? Uh, And the reason I'm asking you to look in the the BIOS. BIOS? Well, I believe it's a BIOS, isn't it?
8: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has
2: a BIOS. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is because I'm not sure if the bluetooth device that's in the machine is supported by linux so it may not go up
0: oh i could uh, i could uh, see i don't see anything in the bios but you know what i'll do is i'll boot into Antigross uh, arch and which boots i mean one thing by the way is once linux is installed this thing freaking flies like it is nice to have a nice modern computer again i tell you it's been a little while since yeah, it looks already. like you got that uh, samsung ssd Ow! in there and that thing is fast so I'll see. I can log in right now, Wimpy. It just boots that fast. I just already, I'm already booted. I'm already in GNOME system settings. So I will I take a... I, I, <laughs> it, does, it, it does
4: look like it supports UEFI, right?
0: It, it, must, it must support... Yeah, it does. Actually, look at that. It's discovering the Bluetooth devices. It is discovering the Bluetooth devices around me right now, so it must have Bluetooth in oh, it. Right, okay, cool.
2: That works, then. That's great. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh-huh. That was something that they'd mentioned may not work at some point in the past, so they, they must have changed their... Um,
0: you know, I haven't tried the webcam, either. Let me try the webcam real quick. Uh yeah, webcam works. Hey, look at that's me. Hey look Wes there's you. See? Well it's me. Yeah webcam. So the webcam works, that's good. Um frame rate's a little low, but uh I'm gonna keep playing with it. I think the, my next my next big task is uh is see if I can alter that fan. And then on top of that, I'm going to just benchmark the shit out of this thing. Yeah, and yeah. then and I mean, it's already
4: going to sound super loud, so you might as well, you know, make it do some work.
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny how mentally in the back of my mind, I associate loud laptop with high CPU usage. So yeah. like, uh, when after I've been working on this thing for about 20 minutes, I I was sort of just you know getting in the flow of things, and I and I remember thinking, stop! I stopped my workflow and go, why is my computer working so hard? Oh wait, no, 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 no. No, it's, it's just
4: fine. It's fine.
0: Yeah. So if anybody knows anything about the fan noise, I would uh, I would love to I'd love to hear if your. You could
4: get that solved. I mean, yeah,
0: yeah. And but the, so I'm gonna but that side I'm gonna put that aside. I'm gonna keep working with it and see what kind of what kind of things I can get done with it. Uh, so I just to recap, I paid eighteen hundred dollars for this thing. Uh, it did ship two hundred and eighty six days late. It was originally expected to ship on April twenty fifteen. I I backed it uh, in November of twenty fifteen. I believe November twenty second two thousand and fifteen. I believe is when I backed it. Oh, I'm sorry, 2014. 14, right. Sorry. Um, I wouldn't necessarily buy it today. But that said, I I think it would be interesting. Like I'm picturing bringing it to conferences and whatnot. Yeah,
4: you, you would – you know, it might be a pretty good machine, especially if yeah. you can just – a little quieter.
0: And the feel in the hand is good. Yep. The hinge is good on the laptop screen. And I it's ha- nice to have something that feels
4: like that. Yes. And it's not – oh, I bought a MacBook and I put Linux
0: on it. It's like, this is something totally different. Yes, exactly. So that's exactly how I'm feeling right now about it. So this is the Rev2. Oh, one more thing I wanted to show you, which I'm not super happy with. I'm going to talk more about this on last, and I'll have visuals to show you guys. Um, It does have a backlit keyboard, and all of the FN keys work, but I want to show you what the backlit keyboard looks like, with. Oh, hold on a second. It's not working. Oh, there you go. So that's the so the keys are backlit, but the, the, the actual letters themselves are not translucent. No. So just there's light around the keys, but you can't actually... It doesn't seem like
4: that would be that bright at night.
0: It doesn't work because the keys themselves are black objects in the night, and there's just light around them. The keys have... There's basically an LED light behind the keyboard, but the keys themselves... So if you were concerned about where the keyboard
4: was, it would help yeah. you find that, <laughs> but not the individual keys. Exactly. That's just, uh, you know... <laughs>
0: yeah they were confused about that exactly so if you ever need to find your keyboard it can it can do that pretty well but you can't find individual keys so uh i guess the at the end of the day i would say if i was betting the farm on a laptop right now and that was my machine i could make it work Mm -hmm. but i would be very disappointed how about a little follow-up on the libra I still have the Librem 15. I have a lot of thoughts on it. So let's talk about the Librem and the Apollo. So uh, as you may have been aware, Wes, last week after 445 days of waiting, I had a chance to try out the Purism Librem 15. Ultimate Linux laptop. And I, I don't know if – you know what? To get the timing right on this, uh, we're going to go to uh, the horse's mouth directly here for just for a moment. But my recollection goes down like this. In the time since I backed the Purism, a company I would never heard of called Entroware has come around and has started shipping laptops – preloaded, by the way, with Ubuntu Mate. And they have a couple of different products out there. We'll talk more about that in a sec. But the one that I want to talk about today is Entraware's Apollo Laptop. Uh, it's it's I think it starts at base price around 700 uh, U.S. greenbacks, somewhere around there, depending on the conversion rate. It is a 13-inch laptop, and I'm, I have it here in my hands. And they sent me a version of the Apollo, pretty well-specced, to see how it stacks up to the Librem 15 and others in terms of build quality, performance, and all of that. So uh, I have it here. I have had it for about 24 hours. And before we go any further, I want to introduce Mike. From EntraWare, Mike, welcome to Linux Unplugged, and tell the folks listening uh, what you do over there at EntraWare. What is that title
9: of yours?
10: Uh, hi, I'm the co-founder of EntraWare, and we
0: build Linux computers for the UK at the moment, and soon some of Europe. And uh, the Apollo arrived on my doorstep uh, yesterday, and uh, it is a 13-inch laptop. It's very similar in, in sort of a uh, look to, say, a MacBook Air or um, or really the Apollo 15 only or, or I'm sorry the Librem 15 only um, 13 inches. very, very, very good build quality. And so uh, Mike, I'm just curious I, I don't actually think are you selling these in the US at the moment?
10: Uh, no, we're not selling them in the US for a while. Um, the reason why yours has got a. US keyboard layout is because we're going to be shipping them to some EU countries because they also use that layout.
0: Oh, I got I you. See. I got you. So, uh, a little bit about the Apollo, if you would. Can, can you give me some background on how this computer came to be uh, and uh, any kind of interesting details about the Apollo?
10: Uh, yeah, we started uh, selling one of these computers about a year and a half ago, maybe two. Um, we got a lot of requests for an Ultrabook, and we just found a, a, an ODM in China where we could have them built and shipped over
0: it is uh it you make it sound so simple but what i find to be remarkable about it and this is something that every single person that i have put this in their hands has said uh is it feels really really sturdy really well built and um and they also people often tell me it feels a little heavy which i think adds to that it feels well built right uh and so i'm curious the, how is it was it a matter of finding the right builder? Was it what what is it that Entraware has been able to accomplish here when it comes to build quality that uh, other vendors sort of in the space maybe haven't gotten to? Um. Is it just happened to be the partner builds a good machine? Because I mean, it seems feel wise, it's it's pretty significantly yeah. well built
10: yeah so uh, we approached a few people, and uh, these were one of the few that did solid aluminium chassis um so we chose them obviously because they had a bad build quality
0: and then the keyboard also uh, I don't know what the process was of selecting the keyboard, but versus some of the others, the keyboard's pretty nice too um, and uh, feels good in the hand. The keys are actually translucent, so the backlighting shines through, which is nice and the fan isn't running uh, crazy loud. The fan actually seems to properly cool the machine, which was a a nice uh, surprise when I took it out of the box. Uh, Was there any particular tricks you guys had to pull to make this thing work properly with Linux, or was it all pretty easy?
10: Well, at first, the first revision we had, there was a few problems with the fan, Uh, but we (laughs) had the mind out in the firmware, so that's now gone.
0: Yeah, I would uh, I would agree. So if uh, there was definitely some problems with the fan, if you ran into the same problems I did. So if I wipe the if I wipe the OS that this game loaded with, will the fan still work fine? Or will it stop working normally?
10: You no, know, it'll exactly the same as what it's doing now. So it's firmware level, then. It's totally hardware level. Well, that's
0: awesome. That's so great. I got it. So my first impressions of this are uh, this is one of the most well-built laptops I've ever held. Would you agree with Oh, you? yeah. I yeah. really want one now. Yeah. Uh, so it's got uh, one, two USB 3.0 ports plus USB-C. It's got an SD card slot reader, full-size HDMI out. And a headphone jack. Uh, enterware was kind enough to include a USB uh, Ethernet adapter okay. in the box, too, because there's no USB Ethernet on this. It's got a 13-inch screen, 1080p resolution on it, two hard drives, a 500-gigabyte spinning for the home and a 120-gigabyte SSD nice. for the root. Yeah, two hard drives in a 13-inch in a laptop, too. Uh, Mike, that's a pretty impressive spec, a uh, Skylake Intel processor, yeah. uh, and it's silent, I haven't heard it sound since I've been here. Yeah, uh, that's a pretty impressive piece of hardware. Is the, are the Apollo cells uh, meeting uh, your expectations?
10: Yeah, they keep growing uh, as we get more publicity on them because they are really good for the price.
0: Yeah, a base seven hundred dollars. Now the base seven hundred dollar, I think, has like an i three and four gigs of RAM, but you just bring it up from there. Uh, yeah, so, that's right. uh, and and then the, and then, Mike, could you talk a little bit about the choice to work with Ubuntu Mate? What drove that, and how's that going? Uh, well, I was approached by Martin uh,
10: about a year ago, and we just had a backing too. when I, I was a big fan of the project, so it was obviously a good move to start shipping the Martin machines.
0: Yeah, it feels fast. You know, it's my first experience with it. When you get a machine, you know, with a nice fast Skylake processor and plenty of RAM, and then you throw uh, the Mate desktop on there. With uh, the with Ubuntu base, it feels really snappy. It's so ready to go. Yeah, and the battery life, I don't have numbers yet, but the battery life has been pretty good, and I think part of that is because the desktop environment just isn't really very demanding. So you feel like you get a nice performing computer with a very reasonable modern desktop. Plus, uh,
4: you get someone like Entroware here, where like they're a company, right? So like if you have problems longer term, you know they're, they're going to be around to support them and to fix them.
0: So the number one question, Mike, that everybody in the chat room wants uh, has is... How, how, how likely and possible is it for Intraware to eventually start selling in the U.S.? Is that a possibility for you guys, or is that just a lot of trouble? Uh, it is a possibility, but we'll
10: wait for a, we're going to wait for a few more, uh, a larger amount of orders before we start shipping over there. We're going to uh, make sure all of the EU is sorted first.
0: Yeah, yeah, you get it nailed there. That makes a we'll lot have to of work sense.
4: on a JB group order.
0: Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, group order. This thing is, boy, uh, I can't wait to just keep trying it over the week. Uh, this is this is going to be my main machine uh, for the week. It seems like a great little. Just yeah. getting stuff
4: done, laptop.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to putting it through its paces. So far, it's, it sounds like a like it's it's silent, and silent is a big deal for me. So I'm really happy about that. And I uh, uh, one thing I may be continuing to troubleshoot, and I haven't. I don't know if it's just the Wi-Fi here or what, but I've had a couple of Wi-Fi issues where the either the transfer rate has been real bad. Like I'm talking like I'm getting 2,000 millisecond pings, or it just won't find the network. Mm. But I, in both cases, it actually could be interference. So I'm going to take it out to a known good location where I only have one Wi-Fi access uh, point. There's no other Wi-Fi access uh, points around or access eyes and uh, see if I have any issues. But uh, so far, I, 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 other than that, and then with the Ethernet adapter, of course, I've had zero problems. And Ubuntu Mate has been, has been pretty great, too. I really like the design. Uh, it, because it's a little bit smaller than the Librem, it, it feels a little tighter. Uh, there's a, a notch where you put your finger that kind of is reminiscent of the way the MacBooks do it. Yeah. Um, which looks nice. It really all, it all comes together. It's, it's, uh, it's got a bottom plate that could be removed with one, two, three, four, five, mm-hmm. six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve screws. So you remove twelve, uh, little Phillips, Screws and it looks like the bottom plate would come off, but it seems so far, like such a
4: good laptop. Like you show up at a conference and it's it's just a little different, and you've yeah. got it running Linux and it works well.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, awesome. I I really like it. I'm really really happy that the uh, keys are uh, actually uh, the the letters are, are translucent, so the backlit uh, key light actually shines through the keys, which is nice because otherwise it's kind of pointless to have the backlighting. Mike, is there anything else you want to add about the Apollo uh, before we uh, move on? Uh, no, that's it. Very good, sir. And uh, Wimpy, was there anything you wanted to add? Any thoughts? I'd like to add. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Mike's being far too modest. Mike has an with a company that you'd be very interested in hearing about, I think.
0: Tell me more. They're uh, so- uh, Valve partners. Valve? Well, okay, Mike. Now, are you bearing the lead here? Hold on. We have ourselves a little Valve story. i got to hear it. Tell me about it.
10: Uh, yeah, so we're official Valve partners, so uh, we're going to be building a Steam machine, and shipping Ooh. them out in a few months.
0: Ah, very cool. Uh, have you? Have you already begun testing? Come on, now. Are you a gamer, Mike?
10: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, we, te- uh, we had one uh, our prototype at our uh, camp this year for people to use, and uh, got a good reaction.
0: So my, you know, Mike, I gotta say, I don't know a lot about Enterware. Um My my initial impressions are: is uh, you guys are very clever. Uh, so it, it just it just I, it struck me just in the name of this device. Uh, it's a pretty great device, and uh, you went with the name Apollo, which when I say Apollo, West, what's the next thing you think of? Fast. Oh, you do well. I, I don't think, know. Like, I think thirteen. I think Apollo thirteen. Oh, 13. Right, and what is this? A 13, it's a 13-inch, inch, yeah. It's great. a 13-inch laptop. It is, it's brilliant. I mean, it shows you a little bit of the uh, – I, I, to me, I think it just it, – it sort of demonstrates a little bit of the thought that goes into it. Is It's an Apollo 13, but, of course, the product name is just Apollo because the 13 just sort of comes naturally. It's part of it. And it makes you think, what laptop did Chris get? He got that Apollo. And how, how big was it? Oh, yeah, it was 13 inches, Apollo 13.
8: That's clever. Yeah, and the 15 should be called Creed.
0: No. <laughs> no, nothing ever gets called Creed. That's uh that's uh that has been banned. Uh but yeah, so I I think it's pretty good. Uh Kitson, you you had something you wanted to add uh to go ahead,
7: sir. When you said Apollo, I actually uh thought art and illumination uh, like the uh Roman/Greek god.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. Okay. Fine. Not everybody thinks it Apollo does 13.
7: Have,
8: but it does have proper backlit key, so it, illumination yes. is accurate. Yeah.
0: All right. Okay. Fine. Fine. All those are good. See, it's a clever name. Nonetheless, it is a clever name. Uh, So I have a – if you're listening to the audio version and you're curious, what the hell does this thing look like? And probably a lot of you are listening to the audio version. In the show notes, I have a link to uh, an album I took uh, up up at my campsite. And uh, I posted pictures of it because I was like, hey, you know what? You know what makes a good background for photos? The freaking Pacific Northwest. Yes, it does. It's a pretty good-looking state, so uh, Washington is, so I put that up there. Um, and, yes, it does have a, an Ubuntu button. Actually, it's a Mate button,
4: so that's pretty Yeah, I like seeing you can customize that right on the website. That's great.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's a, it's a sticker, but it's a translucent sticker, so it doesn't block the light. Which uh, which makes you get that it pretty... attention
4: to detail. Yeah,
0: it is. It's like, it's very well done. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I'm right now. I'm running Ubuntu Mate fifteen ten uh, or Mate or whatever edition on there. I may stick with that. I I I I don't I don't know what exactly it is, but this particular hardware has made me also want to just see what it would be like to have Elementary OS on it. Just to kind of go all the way. Uh, I don't know though, because the thing is, is right now for testing, Ubuntu Mate makes such a great uh, low key desktop environment that it's like you just get all of the machine's performance out of it. So I just don't know about it. Wimpy, you had one more comment. Go ahead.
2: Um, yeah, the version of Ubuntu Mate that you're running there is actually sort of Ubuntu Mate fifteen twelve. Really? Whoa. So yeah, yeah. So what you've got there is Ubuntu Mate fifteen ten and then i worked with mike to get the mate 1.12 desktop on there rather than mate 1.10 and ah, the reason nice. i did that is because in mate 1.12 we introduced um in the control panels um two finger three finger touch configuration options yes
0: and i do and really this appreciate that
2: pad, yeah so that's why we've just given you a slightly custom version. But so um, if I the reloaded Barte, the
0: OS, it might I might not get the uh, the uh, the trackpad <laughs> configuration stuff.
2: No, the the trackpad works on all OSs. Sure, but Barte didn't have. Uh, two the and the three UI touch yeah. options until just recently. That is, it's
0: um, actually exceptionally nice because so it is a good sized trackpad, and when you go into the uh, mouse settings in in Mate, you can you can say two fingers down is a right click, or in the corner is a right click. I want to scroll by touching the right side of the trackpad. I want to scroll by using two fingers. Like all of that is available for you. Wow. Yeah. Really nice. So that's good to know. Yeah, I think I might stick with it. I, I, I just, I really have very little reason to replace it once I have it all set up. It really works super good. But, the um, only thing I might want to replace it with.
2: Yeah. Sorry. I, I was going to say, you'll be fine when you go with Antergos as well, because um, I know Mike
0: runs Arch. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Cool. There. And uh you know, I was also thinking sixteen oh if I all the other thing I might do is I might do the sixteen oh four version of Ubuntu Mate. Yeah. Yeah. And just do because that. that and th- that would likely still have uh the configuration options, right, for my trackpad?
2: Yeah, that's all built into sixteen oh
0: four. Boom. Boom. Dumb. I love it. Uh I have not done the distro bands balance, balance the chat room was asking, so yeah, there they go. But I might by by the time I by the time last comes around. I think if all goes as planned, this will be my review for last, and we'll compare it to the to the two, I might try to do some performance stuff. Yeah, so you should. If anybody has any uh, questions or or even better yet, suggestions of ways to benchmark a system like this that uh, actually produce information that we care about and that is relevant, I would love to know that. reddit.com You could link the benchmarks there or uh, something like that. Uh, oh, okay. So, Wimpy, I will absolutely have to have Loki if I want to try it on this machine. Why is that? Yeah. Uh, For elementary. Ele-
2: Elementary is based on 1404, which doesn't have Skylake support.
0: Right. Right. And Loki is based on 1604. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, you see, need 15, 10 or better. See, somebody's got to make me a Loki ISO, because yeah. it looks like it looks like if you uh, here's my thinking. Right, you put that on here, and then you go to like a mall or somewhere. You say, uh, you say, look at the new MacBook. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> see what they say. It's your inner prankster. Chris. And you know, before, before we before we walk away and say, oh, it's a big MacBook ripoff. Uh, I want to actually make sure I'm clear. I it, when I look at it, I actually don't give the impression that it's trying to rip off from the MacBook. What I get the impression of is aluminum makes pretty good material for this. Exactly. And uh, when you make a 13-inch machine, there's only so much room. Uh, I actually, in some ways, the, I would say there's potential the keyboard may be better than the MacBook keyboard. I'm going to type some more and tell you the truth if that's – I don't know about the trackpad, but the keyboard I think might be better. And this this thing uh, with with one, two, three USB ports, I think outclasses the MacBook in terms of uh, connectivity plus – a dedicated HDMI yeah, outport yeah. and an SD card slot reader. This thing might outclass the MacBook in connectivity, but I'm not, I'm not sure about that. Uh, and so I don't actually – I think it's selling it short to say, oh, it's copying the MacBook. I think what it is, it's taking design cues from a good design. Exactly. But uh, it also, I think, is uh, its own product, very much its own product. And I, I'm, I like it a lot. That is my that's my first impression. If you want to take check out some pictures, go over to the show notes. And if you got ideas on things you want me to do to test it, let me know. So Skylake, it's got Intel graphics. So we'll see what happens. We got two we got two drives in there. Those are some significant pieces of hardware for this year. And it's interesting to look back at those reviews now. Next, we're going to talk about another piece of hardware that was way more important for everyone else out there. I actually got one myself, but first, I want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of the Unplugged program. Use our promo code Unplugged after you create an account. You just apply it, and you get a $10 credit. Now, that's awesome because you can run serious workhorses for like $0.03 cents an hour or just run a machine for $5 a month. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up an awesome Linux rig when you want it on their infrastructure, which is all backed by SSDs, KVM for the virtualizer, Linux for the host system, 40 gigabit e-connections into the hypervisor. I'm talking this is a serious infrastructure wrapped up with the industry's best interface and most straightforward API. It's unbelievable the pricing. They have data centers all over the world, entire Linux systems, or just the base system. And with Fedora 25, too, DigitalOcean.com. Just add our promo code, DOMPlug plug to your account and get a $10 credit and support. Our show DigitalOcean.com D.O. Unplugged And thanks to DigitalOcean For sponsoring the Unplugged program For all Of 2016 D.O. Unplugged One word The Raspberry Pi 3 Wow What an interesting device And I ended up getting one Pretty quickly To try out a few different projects on it Okay So The Raspberry Pi 3 Has landed Wait what Oops Sorry I think I just dropped it down the toilet. Hold on. It's so small. Uh, it is uh, going to be 35 US don't bones. has a 64-bit CPU, is my understanding, but it ships with a 32-bit version of the OS. Two uh, uh, USB ports on that thing. Not right there. Well, so, go ahead. Go ahead. Jump in anytime. Bluetooth, wh- by the way, Wi-Fi like we've had before, before uh, and uh, four USB ports, if, if I'm correct. Yeah. So, uh, Whippy, can you say, uh, how long have you had this? A little bit,
9: right?
0: uh, Since Friday last week. Oh, 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 oh. So you've obviously been working on this thing, trying to get uh, Ubuntu Mate desktop working on it. What were your initial impressions of the hardware when you sat down to work with it? Uh,
2: It looks, well, it is the same form factor as the Raspberry Pi 2 and the Raspberry Pi B+. So, you know, the number of ports and its size and its arrangement is almost identical. There's, there's one minor change, and that's the location of the LED lights. Mm. Uh, but other than that, it looks it looks like a Raspberry Pi. Mm-hmm. Um, I hooked it up, uh, tried to boot my existing image for Ubuntu Mate, and got a very colorful rainbow screen, which basically nice. meant uh, <laughs> do not pass go. Mm. Um, so, yeah, then started work on making it work. Once I got it working, uh, the, it's obvious where uh the perf- the the performance improvements come oh, really? from with this device yeah yeah across across the board and in some unexpected places as well um so uh it's uh, got a new uh, soc so it's a broadcom 2837 at core 1.2 gigahertz it's an arm v8 uh, cortex a53 it's clocked at 1.2 gigahertz, which is up from 900 uh, megahertz as the stock clock mm-hmm. on the Pi 2. Um, and by and large, more or less, just about everything is about 50% quicker on the Pi 3 compared mm, to wow. the Pi 2. Um, so you see that in everything in terms of the responsiveness of the applications, but w- where you really notice it is, it really starts to close the gap in terms of things like if you've got a web browser open and you're scrolling, um, you know, the web pages. That's much more fluid now, much more fluid.
0: Hmm.
2: Um, and uh, so you've you've mentioned that there's there's Bluetooth and there's Wi-Fi now, so they're integrated uh, on the sock. Um, they're using a Broadcom uh, 4343-something chip. Um, And the interesting thing here is that in the past, one of the criticisms of the Raspberry Pi was that the, uh, the SD host controller and the Ethernet were on the same USB bus. Right. So if you were doing a file copy over Ethernet, performance could really take a dive the wi-fi uh, is implemented on the SOC and on its own mmc controller and not on the usb bus now i haven't tested this yet this is this is what hmm. i want to Speculation. test. but my but my working hypothesis is it should move data around quicker over wi-fi than it
4: can over ethernet Good excuse not to uh, bother trying to find an internet plug for it. <laughs> that would be pretty yeah. cool.
0: That would be uh, that would be pretty damn impressive. Okay, so the hardware impressions. I mean, a fifty percent improvement across the board. That is damn same form factor. That is damn impressive. I, I like that a lot. I- I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how that might would actually play out with multitasking mm-hmm. and things like that. How did that translate, Wimpy, for you when? getting whatever you need to do to make Ubuntu Mate work on uh, the Raspberry Pi 3. Because two things jump out at me. Number one is you kind of had to go back and retrofit the released version of Ubuntu Mate to make it work, right? Because you couldn't just say, well, mm. go, if you want to make it work, go use 16.04, or did you? No, I, I, because there wasn't much time to do
2: this, I went with the build system I had for 15.10. Okay. Because aside from the new you know feature enablement i knew the rest of the thing worked so you know minimize things that said i still only got about six hours sleep between friday and and <laughs> oh. sunday
0: working on this <laughs> last down uh, to the wire huh? that yeah, was, yeah. yeah yeah but to your was, credit you got it right out on release day so that looked pretty good Yeah, I mean, that's impressive yeah yeah, yeah it, it needs some work so um
2: despite the um assistance i got from the raspberry pi foundation over the weekend so they they had some engineering assistance mostly from phil Elwell, who who's just been brilliant um i haven't got the bluetooth working in uh on the raspberry pi 3 for ubuntu mate yet um but i'm yet to hear and maybe over the next couple of days we'll start to hear i haven't heard if anyone's got bluetooth working at all yet it's a bit it's a bit complicated to get going and I was sort of groping around in the dark a little bit because I was sort of being drip fed. Oh, you need this binary blob, and wow. uh, and I'm no, this still doesn't go. And they're like, Oh, no, you need this w- this blob as well, which patches that other blob. Hmm. And, and oh, you need these patches for this so it was all good because i got all the information but i just couldn't quite get the thing to enable the bluetooth so i've decided just to sit back for a few days and hmm. see see if somebody else cracks with the official, with the official images yeah so i'm going to start taking a look at the new images so today um uh, this evening, I downloaded all of the new packages that have uh, gone into the Raspberry and Archive to do with Bluetooth and firmware, mm. and I'm sort of picking through those to see if there's anything different uh, that I may have missed or overlooked. So, Bluetooth will come in, in due course, and it will be delivered via an update, I should think. Hmm, very good. Okay. Now, there is another thing about the uh, the Raspberry Pi. Mm. All uh, right, do share. That the raspberry pi 3 that i think is probably more important i think the raspberry pi 3 itself is the hors d'oeuvre this is not the main event oh so in in the pi 3 the uh video core uh the graphics processor uh has been upclocked so uh the video core was running at 250 megahertz it now runs at 400 and the 3d graphics processor was running at 250 and now runs at 300 okay one of the benefits of that is that you can now run a uh, 1080p video at 60 frames per second. Nice, oh, nice. yes. Which is good. Uh, and the other thing is, is that there's been an awful lot of work going on behind the scenes at the Raspberry Pi Foundation to do all of the uh, graphics enablement in kernel mode setting and direct rendering manager and Mesa and Gallium. And that's sort of experimental at the moment. But I have had it working for brief periods hmm. of time. And when that works, it's a game changer because you can turn on the OpenGL renderer in VLC and get smooth video playback in VLC. Nice. Not the rather clunky, can't-quite-keep-up-software version. And, and it has you can been- also you can also uh, run OpenGL accelerated software providing OpenGL versions match up. So if you've ever played Neverball or Putt, I've had that running full screen, 60 frames per second, no problem. And there are other examples of where that o- On hardware, the Pi 3? On the Pi 3, yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: That is a so, big deal.
2: So when that lands properly, it's GLES uh, Warheads... DLES is, is the implementation mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. the Pi 3. But when that lands later in the year as a fully finished thing, that takes an awful lot of burden off the CPU. And I think that right. is where this sort of um, pseudo desktop use case really comes into its own and will start to grow because, you know, using things like composited desktops. Becomes a, a reality and and alleviates burden mm-hmm. from the CPU.
0: This is good. as it
2: is, yeah. But as it is, it makes a very usable desktop experience. I mean, imagine if um, for thirty five dollars you could buy a computer and plug in a USB microphone and join a mumble room and have a podcast just like we are now. Oh yeah, oh hmm. yeah. This is this is all plugged into a Raspberry Pi three. I'm talking.
0: Oh, that is about great. Yeah. <laughs> Drops the bomb. <laughs> Well played, sir. Well played. <laughs> you know, I was going to ask you uh, if you think this is. I mean, uh, wow. I mean, there you go. Podcasting is is that's probably something you can barely even do from a tablet. I mean, you can, but it's. Uh, I just when I see this, thirty five dollars, Wimpy. Isn't that a big part of of the Raspberry Pi three? Is what the performance for the price? It's not fifty dollars. Yeah. It's not. It's not even forty five dollars. Uh, it's yeah. 35 U.S. greenbacks, uh, and that seems like that sort of is a game-changer, and your downloads must be bearing that out.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, I haven't looked since the the new images have gone up. Um, I'll, I'll check in a week or so to see how things are going. But, um, yeah, so the Raspberry Pi is known to be something that, you know, retails for $35, well, or at least the the traditional ones. There's obviously the zero now for $5. Um, and as I understand it, they're trying to keep that thirty-five dollar price point, so they will introduce features to that price rather than just introduce features because they can. Which I think is kind of neat because uh, you know, yeah. you know, it's always going to be thirty-five dollars. Yeah, it keeps the but expectation. It, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a step change in performance, definitely. And I think that it's very early now. You know, we're in day two. Right. I think <laughs> you know a okay. few a few months from now will be able to see the full, hopefully the full potential. A smart move, though, uh,
0: on their part year. to keep the uh, the form factor, right? By keeping the form yeah. factor the, the same,
2: uh, like, uh,
0: they, groups, like have uh, to, though. groups like Mycroft, though, like Mycroft saying, hey, we're now doing the testing, and if everything works out, we're just going to include the Raspberry Pi 3 in with the Mycroft units because it just snaps right Bam. in.
3: Upgrade. Isn't that, yep. don't you think and that's it's a big the deal? the same price. Yes.
0: I think that's, I mean, I think that's a huge deal. I think that means that people that are building things, I mean, for predictability like that, when you're building something, right, to have that kind of predictability, that's yeah. important. Now, for others, there might be other there might be other boards out there, but for some of us, that is a huge component just right there. No, thirty five dollars, mm. about the same form factor. I can snap it in. When you buy it, probably the same software you used before. We'll just install to it. I think it's yeah. pretty neat. Well,
2: any other thoughts, Wimpy? Uh, well, the only other major change that sort of just juxtaposes what you've said is that it does require slightly more power now. So in the past, um, uh, 1.8-amp or 2-amp power Mm. was recommended. So that's a bit of a twist, yeah. Now it's 2.4-amp. So uh, if you've got existing power supplies that were kind of on the edge of being acceptable, chances are you're going to need a new uh, power supply yeah i i use an atrix laptop uh lap blah, lap dock to connect right. the Pi to ah. to work on them and i'm pleased to say that that still powers the pi 3
0: yeah i mean 2.4 amps is not too uncommon so yeah that no. should, yeah hmm. also uh if, if a mute or uh raspbian isn't your flavor uh windows 10 look at this west Windows 10, Internet of Things Core for Raspberry Pi 3 is out. I even There's even a video. Look at this right here. Uh, it's uh, Windows powering a wheel like a hamster. Go,
4: Windows, go.
0: Just like the hamster.
4: It's learning, Chris. you got to be nice.
0: So Windows 10 on the Raspberry Pi 3 controlling a closed-loop wheel. You ready for this, Wes? A Raspberry Pi 3 running Windows
5: 10 IoT Core. The wheel represents a common situation in robotics when you need to know exactly how fast a robot's going or how far it's traveling. Here I have a display connected to the Raspberry Pi 3. You can see the speed of the wheel, the speed I've chosen, and the power output to the motor.
0: I just can't ever imagine why you would want the overhead of Windows for such a simple task. It's just, that's never going to, that, that's never a value argument you're going to win. It's, it's crazy. Absolutely. But you know uh, what, go to Microsoft
4: for it's trying. going to be those people who already have all that yeah. chain there. What do you think, uh, Wimper? What do you think?
2: Uh, oh, that's cute and everything, but let's see them come on a podcast. On We're, we're using a Raspberry Pi 3. That's
0: yeah, right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Raspberry Pi 3 is a nice piece of kit, but what about getting software installed on your distro of choice? Let's take a moment. Let's talk about 1604 and snap packages. Now, there are many things to discuss in regards to this review, and I want to cover all of them as much as we can. Uh, if you have not had a chance, it's not a prerequisite, but I would invite you to listen to episode 413 or watch. Episode 413 of the Linux Action Show, where we did our review. And uh, just as a background, because I don't know if I really went into this in the show or not, but uh, basically every machine in my life, except for that one right there, that Bonobo, got reloaded to Ubuntu 16.04. Wow, Kubuntu Edition was the one I ran with the longest, and then I put the Neon packages on there because I loves me the fresh mm-hmm. Neon. And it, it, I guess actually going back further, it really started the day I got the uh, Apollo. Yep. I, I got I got really excited by what a good implementation Ubuntu Mate 1510 on the Apollo was, and then as soon as it felt reasonable, I brought that up to 1604, and then I started bringing all my other machines to 1604. And one by one, yeah. <laughs> and so I spent you know uh, I spent a real solid month in Ubuntu, uh, which for me was a big transition again going back. And yeah, there. Uh, and but part of the reason I wanted to do it is because I, I really wanted to spend. You know, when you just do it for a couple of days, you get totally overwhelmed by all the little rough edges that are just different. You know, just because it's not it's not comfortable and familiar, it just it feels abrasive. But if you actually spend time with it, you you learn. Oh yeah, I do it this way. This now you learn
4: the true character. Of what yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And so you know, it, I really wanted to give it its due. And so when we walked away, I walked away with some some impressions that I had reflected on for that whole month. And that, those definitely took the, the stage of the review, I think, that the bulk of the stage. But there's a lot of things covered in the uh, 1604 review. And I, I, I was curious, Wes, uh, if you – why don't we do this? If you'd be up for this, let's get your impressions sort of at the top. Then let's uh, go to the Mumble Room, get some of their updates and follow up in their impressions. And then towards the end of this shenanigans – Let's talk about some of the things that have changed already or fixed already right. since Sunday's episode of the show. So, like a full spectrum coverage. So, as follow-up to our sixteen oh four review, Wes, what are your sort of out of the uh, first gate impressions of this brand new LTS release?
4: Okay, so for for context, both in work and kind of at home, um, I both skipped at work the fourteen oh four release, and then that, I, I used that at right. home, but I didn't use too much. So of So I
0: guess know. this is kind of a this is kind of like for for you, a huge upgrade.
4: Yeah, it really is a huge upgrade.
0: That's an interesting perspective. So you've been stuck at 1204 for years. Yeah, and a
4: majority. You know, I use some fourteen hundred four. I do have, like, one system at 1510. But, but, yes, there's a lot of 1204. And so there, there's so much new and so much I'm excited about. I mean, I've used Ubuntu on System D before, but I just I, I love doing, you know, system control status and just seeing that breakdown. It's, I'm really excited to see it at servers on work. Uh, now, did you play with the in-between ones? Yeah, I played with them a little bit. Okay, you uh, just didn't use them widespread. I just yeah, I didn't really deploy them.
1: Anywhere. Yeah, and I'm kind of in the same boat. I mean, I didn't. I tr- traditionally just stick to the LTSs.
4: Right. You know, and so and and it seems like a good point right now where when once it's out, it'll have it'll have fresh packages for quite some time, and then you have the snap packages, and you have ZFS right there. Have you played
1: with ZFS on sixteen oh four?
4: I haven't on sixteen oh four, but I've used it. Uh, you know, building it myself or, or loading it myself. Okay. Installing it third party. Uh, on earlier versions, so like I, I'm really excited also about like LXD 2.0 which just came out. Uh-huh. Um, I, I like LXD, I like I like that model, and Ubuntu supports it very well. You know.
1: So do you use a lot of? So do you use a lot of other desktop environments other than just Unity?
4: Yeah, I almost never use Unity really. So I'm trying oh. it out right now. It's not bad. Uh, the animations are pretty slick, and it, it's definitely I've seen the touch ups from what I'm used to. You know, especially seeing it work a lot of the deployments available uh-huh. before. So. Uh, so, you know, Unity is nice, but, you know, normally I use, I use Cinnamon a lot for Linux Mint or I use a tiling window manager. Uh, but I'm really excited for just having, like, I feel like 16.04 will be a release I can deploy in almost every part of my life. The places where I don't need first-hand management or where Arch doesn't make the most sense, you know, maybe for less minimal stuff, but but anywhere where I just need a general Linux where I know that the packages will be what I need. they will be a way, especially with Snap packages, there'll be a way to get the software that I want and I can figure it the way I need It'll just be. Just, I'm really excited.
0: Yeah, I, that's sort of my takeaway too. Uh, and I kind of wanted to. I I, t- I I joked a lot during the live stream, but I actually am kind of curious on Popey's take for it because uh, not just be- not just because he works with Ubuntu and works at Canonical, but honestly because he's obviously been following this for a long time and has good insight on this. And I wonder too if if maybe these are some of the elements that he's excited about. And I know I've I've kind of asked him to dance it like a monkey before on this topic, but. I, I know that the SNAP packages are sort of the weakest area of coverage in our review, and it's sort of, I feel like, the biggest long-term ramifications of 16.04. And so, I don't know, Puppy. do you have any to sort of take on our review and thoughts on it, and maybe thoughts on the SNAP packages specifically?
3: Can't talk, Chris. I'm busy playing games on 16.04.
0: <laughs> nice.
3: <laughs> yeah, okay. I, you know what?
0: Uh, I, that's another thing, is it is a great platform for Steam games. Yeah, right? I kid. I'm
3: joking. Um I was actually playing myself. Yeah, I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, the Snap stuff, you know, I, when I first heard about this a couple of years ago, um, I was kind of sceptical because the guy who was telling me about this was outside a hotel. Uh, you know, we'd all had an intro to what Snappy was, and only a few people had been involved in what it, what it was going to be. And I, I didn't quite get it. And it's only now that I realize how many people depend on things like AUR in Arch or um, self-updating applications like Chrome um, and other things that just, like, sort themselves out and nobody nobody has to worry about it, right? And, you know, we used to think that PPAs were a marvelous way to get stuff to, to users. But actually, it, it's quite abrasive to get from, you know, I want to have the latest version of whatever Atom or, you know, Uh, sublime or whatever whether it's free software or proprietary it's it's quite abrasive to get from i want that thing to getting that thing and i think snap can make that a whole lot easier and also make it so that you can have the latest version of stuff up-to-date all the time on your system. And that that is compelling for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, extremely. And uh, I know every year I talk to Frank about this problem uh, from OwnCloud and uh, this I'm really curious this year to say, what do you think about this? What are your thoughts right. on this? Uh, I know they're they're relying right now on the OpenSUSE build service. And so one of the things that we kept going around and around about is uh, this seems maybe like a little bit too late, Poby? It seems like maybe this should have come about, but if you look at the origins of where snap packages were originally created for, there was almost no no route to here without having gone through the Ubuntu phone process, right?
3: Yeah, we learn a lot from click packages on the phone. Right. And click so packages. That, yeah. That's click packages. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, it, like I'll, I'll give you a good example. There's a, a developer um, who created a game for Ubuntu phone called Balls. And uh, it's it's an SD it's written in SDL2. It works on the phone. And um he cranks out a new version once, maybe twice a day. Wow. And he can just push a new version to the store and it's on his customers handsets or his users or whatever you want to call them that the people who play his game he can build a new level in 15 minutes that he has to work on his game he can build a new level crank out a click package shove it in the store and thousands of people have it straight away right hmm. and and so that works great on the phone but you know you and i both know i'll, I'll, I'll give you a little secret right We don't have millions and millions of phone users, right? But we do have millions and millions of Ubuntu desktop users. So take that technology that we used on the phone to deliver applications super fast to the users on the phone and bring that to the desktop. Then all those millions of users can potentially have super up-to-date packages with all the lessons we've learned from the phone. Hmm. I do like that. I feel
0: like it's one of those things that we won't see pay off for quite a while, though.
3: Potentially. I mean, we're working on tools to make it easier. So, like, you know, we're all working on snapifying, we call it <laughs> not formally that's just like a stupid term not we snap crafting use. or yeah I, I, there's not a <laughs> verb for it really snapping no snapping, yeah. you don't want to snap <laughs> yeah so we're all working on yeah Snapification sounds good sounds very george w bush um And uh, we're all doing a bit of that to to iron out all the kinks and figure out, you know, because every application is different and some things have different requirements. Right. And because of our security model to ensure that one application can't stomp on the files of another or you don't get one file, um, you know, able to access the data from another application and like send your key presses elsewhere, Mm -hmm. the security side of things is super critical and – we're just discovering the edge cases of, you know, what each application needs in terms of security with Snappy, and so we're pushing the boundaries of that, trying to make sure that we're getting all that done, so that when a developer comes along and wants to Snapify their app, um, it's all ready for them.
0: This is this is something that I want to talk to you about <clears throat> because I was just uh, arguing with Noah that one of the emails we get all the time oncoder radio and one of the things that Mike has run into is he says right okay i'm going to develop for ubuntu i'm going to i'm going to release an app for the ubuntu desktop for ubuntu users and i'm going to use which sdk which toolkit which backend language and i distribute it to my end users with reliable secure updates how okay so if i want to distribute for ubuntu reliably via software update How do I do that? And if I'm just say, just say I'm like, say I'm the developer of your favorite application that's available for another platform that just has decided now's the time to target the Linux desktop. How do they, how do they figure this out? They either A, somehow get it submitted to Debian downstream so it gets included in the Ubuntu repos and thus gets updated when their system updates. They figure out how to create a Launchpad account and create PPAs and publish their own repo. They figure out how to package a deb file or pay somebody, which is a common thing that developers do, is just hire some guy or gal to package a deb file for them. And then they post it on their website, which then means you don't get to take advantage of any of the built-in package management. Nope. Check back. And so, you know, what Mike and I have kicked around a ton on Coda Radio is this is a shitty story to tell developers. This, is just, this just doesn't work for them. They, they, can't, they can't bank on that. <laughs> they can't take that to the bank. And, and so I think that the SNAP packages is probably the best answer to this, and I think it, I think it answers a bigger question than we all realize is being asked. Do, do, you, do you agree with my sort of rough assessment, Popey?
3: Right and you know for for a slow moving free software project there's a good argument for you should put it in debian or aur or wherever sure. that yeah. that that hits the most number of free but software But that's developers. not really
0: practical for a lot of people that are maybe bringing something over to the linux desktop for the first right. time.
3: Right, and 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 that's just one, you know, method. I'm I'm just trying to say that putting it in Debian is not a not inherently a bad thing. Right? There's nothing. Yeah. There's nothing inherently. Wrong if you with could that. do but it, it's seen, great. Right, uh, but we've seen, or if you can find a, a Debian developer to sponsor your mm-hmm, or right. upload or mm-hmm. whatever, whatever the process is, but we've seen recently friction in Debian where an upstream developer wants more recent versions of their application in the distro and the debian policy doesn't allow that to happen right you're referring to the x screensaver thing thing. right and and so with with a system where the developer is put in control of how they distribute their code and with automated reviews and sandboxing these three things put together means that Developers are happy because they can distribute the version of their software that they're happy with when they want to. Users are happy because they get the latest version of Crack that they want. And users are also happy, and sysadmins are happy, because the system is secure, because the apps are siloed from each other. (coughs) So it Mm -hmm. seems like a win-win-win all the way around.
0: Uh, R Brown, I wanted to give you a chance to jump in because uh, uh, also, I mean, we've seen this play out in a lot of instances, but own clouds are probably one of the more prominent ones, wouldn't you agree?
6: Yeah. Um, they're a pretty good example of, of one of those projects where, yeah, they're they're really well. In the case of the the Debian one, it wasn't just a case of not able to get the version in there, but also the Debian developer putting in what OwnCloud considered was an unsafe upgrade path.
0: Right now, uh, Richard, I just want your frank opinion, not even as a representation of SUSE, uh, just as a representative rep- as a representative of the Linux community. Do you bang your head against your desk? Do you facepalm a little bit when you go, guys, 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 we've got the open Bususa build service. It's working great. Projects like OwnCloud are using the hell out of it. Don't reinvent the wheel of snap packages. Just put it in the open build service. Does it, is, there, is there a facepalm moment for you or, or, or do you see it in a different light?
6: I, I, there, there is to a large extent when you mix in the Ubuntu mobile thing, there's maybe a case to be made there, but I'm, I'm not sold on it. No.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I. I this is where our debate was going. I see. Uh. In the, in the living room. And, and. Uh, no, Noah. I don't know. It, when we talked about it, my, my, my take was. See, I guess it's. I'm of two opinions because snap packages on their own right are 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 pretty slick technology. And a pretty great idea and something that I think uh, pretty much anyone who's new to the scene, you can look at how to build these, these things, how to, how to write the uh, description file, and you're going to get it. Yep. It's, it's going to be easy. I love that a lot. And it might be familiar for
4: how you're doing packaging things for other systems sure. already.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that I, I just I, – I'm pretty jazzed about it in, in, in the big picture. At the same time, um, I don't want to say this in a flamey way. But if 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 Ubuntu would have just if if we could have gone if it could have gone like this like what what if it could have gone like this like Canonical would have been like all right we're gonna go focus on mobile for a bit so uh, what we're gonna do is if you want to worry about getting desktop software on uh, on our desktop we're just gonna hook in with the Open Open Source Build Service and we're just gonna we're gonna hook in with that and that's what that's gonna be our sort of our official avenue for getting software on our desktop and I feel like that would have. Been a game changer for desktop Linux because instead of now getting packages bundled for Debian and Ubuntu out of the goodwill of the developer, it would have been a standardized method to deliver tech, uh, software to the Linux desktop.
1: What guarantee would Canonical have had that the open source so, uh, open source build service would have kept their values and their priorities in mind?
4: Besides
6: the fact we've been doing it for ten years now.
1: Well, I'm, so I guess what I'm asking is you know canonical has canonical invented the you know the ppa system and the, and better for better for worse they have these debs that are available on on the download but that was at the time that that came out that was far and away better than anything else we had had on Linux, and so I think it's a little unfair to say that because other competition has rose up around them and they are now taking those steps to, to advance it, I think it's a little unfair to say, well, all of a sudden, uh, Canonical has just done it all wrong. And I guess no, I, have, I, I and don't
0: want to. I don't, don't want to come across as saying they've done it all wrong because I don't. I don't agree. I think that. PPAs were a decent addition. And so here's where I'm coming from on this. And, and just, just really quickly is uh, Seuss Martin in the uh, Linux Action Show subreddit said, Sorry, Chris. No offense. Which, I, <laughs> which is always
1: – I'm like, about to say something offensive.
0: Yeah. I just, I just pissed in your flower bed. No, no Not to upset you. Uh, anyways. Uh, That's good. But uh, that was not a review. More like an hour-long monologue about how bad PPAs are. And I want to stop right there. I I actually think as far as PPAs go, they're not an awful system. I don't think it's that bad. I think it was a good addition when PPAs were launched a long time ago. Uh, I'm trying to look at Wikipedia to find out the date, but they don't have it. 2009. Thank you. They certainly filled the need. Right. Yeah. This was solid in 2009. Great idea. Uh, 2009 is too long ago now, and it needed to be iterated on continuously since then. And what happened, in my estimation, is it just didn't become a priority. And then the cloud took off. And then rapid software development took off. And people start creating entire applications that run on the web based on Node.js and plugins that can be completely revoked. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And in days, they have a new web application. And then in months, they have iterated three times. And all of a sudden, we now find ourselves in a world where... Unarguably, OpenSUSE were the leaders, where Fedora has a very competent solution, where Arch has a crushing lead with the user repository. We now find ourselves in a world where Ubuntu is behind in this regard. I'm not saying PPAs are bad. I'm saying that if we could have switched over to another solution by now, I I like the build service just as my personal one. Yeah, works well. We would have fundamentally changed how software is distributed for Linux. The answer for developers that I talked about earlier would have been Target the Build service. With clear documentation, a large community, and it would have made available to just about every damn distro on the planet. Now, I'm very excited for Snap packages, but at the same time, I kind of feel like it's too little to, well, not too little but it's too late. 1604 and snap packages, definitely notables from 2016. One of the next segments that's coming up is one of the first really, well, not really one of the first, but one of the many super solid technical contributions that Wes has brought to the show. It's been great having Wes on the show in 2016. And our next segment is a, Great example of that, and it's, it's so great because he's not caught up in all the buzz and the hype around some of these things, and he gives you a real practical, straightforward, working-with-us-every-day kind of take. First, speaking of working with things every single day, your education is one of them, and that's Linux Academy. Linuxacademy.com slash unplug is where you go to support the show and get a seven-day free trial. Linux Academy is a platform created by Linux enthusiasts for you to learn more about all things Linux and the great stuff built on top of it. And they're just geniuses about the way they've set this up. They have self-paced, in-depth video courses for every Linux and cloud and DevOps topic. They have labs that give you hands-on, scenario-based training, which helps me with my testing anxiety. Instructor mentoring is available when you need it, actual human beings. And then if you're not quite sure what path to take, well, they have learning paths for you, a series of courses and content planned by those human beings. They have cert training if that's the route you want to go, nuggets for tiny bits of sparkly wisdom, Course schedulers to work with your busy schedule, study guides and comprehensive downloads that have audio or PDF that you can read or listen to offline, and note cards that are forked and worked on by the community, and the community is full of Jupiter Broadcasting members. I love it. Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged is where you go, and kind of fun to watch their feed right now on Twitter, twitter.com slash linuxacademy.com. Um, They're at an AWS event that's going on, and they have a booth there, and there's a lot of shenanigans going on, and they're giving away drones, too. This is awesome, and they have giant plushies. What? I want a giant plushie. And a drone. This is pretty cool. Their Twitter feed's great. that uh, You can learn about new content coming to Linux Academy and see some of the shenanigans they're up to. Again, that's uh, Linuxacademy.com on Twitter if you want to see that and some of the video from the AWS event they're at. It's cool to see them down there and getting like hands on with all the big stuff that Amazon's announcing today. So that way they can uh, integrate it into their courseware pronto. Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Go there, support the show, and sign up for a seven-day free trial. Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. And thanks to Linux Academy for sponsoring the show all year. LXD, it's like the non-hyped Docker. And Wes has had some real hands-on experience. I love this contribution to the show. All right, Mr. Wes. So you said to me, okay, Chris, I know we've talked about Ubuntu 16.04 a lot. But let's be real. We've mostly focused on the desktop, where we've trashed on it a little bit. Plus, the, I mean, does anyone even
4: use Linux on the desktop? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I could obviously. Oh, my obviously.
0: gosh. Oh my uh, gosh.
4: <sighs> but, you know, there's a the whole other element of
0: uh, the Ubuntu the server. server. The server, where it's actually uh, hugely successful. Yeah. Like, so have in, you in used it way? at all? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Andre, uh, uh, m- uh, uh, wait, do I have any local 16.04 servers? No. No, I don't. I only have I only have droplets, yeah. but we've got a handful of them now, uh, and I don't really have anything to say. Um, <laughs> I guess that's a good thing. Yeah, in the server, they just right? they just freaking run. Uh, we've set up a software on them. We have some 1404 uh, droplets we want to move to 1604 right. because we. I'll tell you one. Actually, okay, okay, okay. I'll tell you one thing that I have noticed. Okay, it is a pain in the ass now to like it is a major pain in the ass to write init scripts for upstart and it's like the last thing I want to do it's the last thing anybody on the JB crew wants to do is learn upstart at this point oh my gosh who wants to learn upstart it's going dead yeah exactly and here's the other thing is that tons of the projects I've been using for a while now have systemd init scripts yep they come they're right there yes 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 so uh, that is sort of the nicest thing about 1604 is now I'm just like looking I can use those examples and things but that's pretty much the, the entire summary of my I review from the servers it works i don't really have any complaints and it does everything <laughs> i expect which by the way exactly what i want on my server right.
4: it just uh, it just it
0: yeah, yeah. It's, it's consistent so you however you however have had a bit of a
4: bigger route i'm change. in the weird position of like i mean i use arch for a lot of things that's the most um, what i'm most familiar these days with i know how to you know bend it to my will get whatever i done need to do done with it i'm in the weird position where i'm considering switching into ubuntu for for a lot of my larger <laughs> server uses uh, mostly because of lexd as they call it which is lexd 2.0 was just released and that's their container uh lighter visor they jokingly call it (laughs) Uh, and it's and it's meant to be a new way to interact with the uh linux container or lexi subsystem uh and the infrastructure they've set up so if you're not familiar um you can go to linuxcontainers.com i believe Mm -hmm. Yeah, linuxcontainers.org. Dot org, yeah. uh, Backslash lxd, backslash try. Try dash it, which Uh, we will have a link in the show. And you
0: can give it a try right now. Uh, And it's a... Now, hold on. When you say give it a try, you mean... I can go to a web page and I, I can spin up a LXD container in real time.
1: Yeah, let's, let's do try it. it. Let's
0: do it right now. Are you ready? You want to do it? Okay, here we go. So I am at linuxcontainers.org slash LXD slash try dash it. Again, link in the show notes. Yeah, where's the IPv 6 connectivity, Chris? the studio. Come I know, on. right? So I'm going to say I've accepted the terms of service because, of course, I do. They're pretty reasonable. Now, they are going to start the container on the fly. Now, because we just gave out the URL, it's going to get slow here. But before it gets slow, you can see right here. Wes, right here, boom! I got a console. I got an LXDE container. I'm now root inside a container nested inside an LXD install, which is sort of like LXDE Inception. Yes, right. What am I seeing here, Wes? What, uh, am, I, what am I seeing?
4: You're seeing they ran LXC exec container name bash, and it just gets you executed as root inside the container a bash shell.
0: This is pretty cool. Uh, this is a pretty cool way to do it.
4: Yeah, it's pretty neat. So they, they, one of the neat things is they've... LXE was pretty complicated to use. It's, it's really neat to use if you've ever tried it, if you need, like, you know, <laughs> system-level containers. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of things to learn and a lot of, like, r- configuration things to to set up. Sure. LXD, or LexD, it, it's a lot simpler. And so you can kind of just get an image going, and they have default profiles set up. So the default one, it runs at, as an unprivileged container, meaning that it actually runs... Uh, in a user namespace, so that root in the container is no longer root on your oh, host. It's cool. actually mapped nice. to like UID one million or something like that. Uh, so, so it, and hopefully to get you some added security. Uh, but it, but it also has like default pro- profiles. If you want to run Docker in there, you just change your container to be on the Docker profile, and they tweak some of the security settings and the like nesting settings so that you can run Docker inside your container. Huh. So you're just starting to play with this, but how's the workflow bit? Is it pretty easy it's to use? It's neat. So LXC used kind of a template workflow, so where you'd use something like packstrap or bootstrap or whatever to like get your container implemented on the machine you're running it on. Uh, LXD uses an image-based format, so you actually just have like a tar gz of your container root file system, huh. uh, and it also takes great advantage of CFS. It's awesome. So like, you know, on 1604, you just install the userland tools, the kernel module is built for you, you just load that up, uh, it has a do sudo LXD in it, and it'll walk you through it. It'll even set you up like a loop back mounted ZFS file system if you want, right? So that's what I'm using on the laptop here. Or if you want to have, you know, you have actual like pool of disk to use, you can use that or use one that you already have. And so what that means is when you want to use like a new, they give you some image servers by default with the like, you know, Ubuntu 16.04 container image. You can just pull that down. But once you have that image, every new container you start, it's just a, it's just a, Copy and write copy of that, right? So you you it's basically free except That's for what you change it. Slick. And all again, super easy to set up. And I've already set up like an Arch for So they don't have they have like Alpine, they have so, wait, so, you,
0: so you're saying you're saying you have okay, so for example, if I were to do this on a on a droplet, I could have an Ubuntu sixteen oh four droplet, but in the container, run Arch. Yep. Absolutely. (laughs) So they don't have one provided
4: on there. They have like an image images.linuxcontainers.org where they have like Fedora, Cora, like lots of pre-built stuff for you, but Arch wasn't one of them. But you just take a, you know, you make a reasonable Arch file system, you package it up in a tar, and it's really easy to get it as your own. And then you can, they, the other neat thing is it's a network, like it's all done over a REST API. That's like, that's how the client talks to it. That's how you can talk to it. They have Python bindings. And it also talks over the network. So I can have a server here and then a server on a droplet somewhere and I can go make myself a new image have containers here and if I can make a container I really like here I can just push it over to the server and it will run there. That is nice. You can even about snapshot up here, then push the snapshot up to this. It's, it's, yeah. I'm really excited.
0: I might have to change a lot of my infrastructure to use this now. That is super, super neat. I like Wes's discussion about LXD. And while we're talking about things that are very practical, let's talk about the Linux desktop in terms of pragmatic reasons and philosophical reasons to use Linux. All right, so I, I'll, I don't want to go too far in this without bringing in the mumble room because this is sort of the segment I wanted to give them a chance to shine. However, I got to ask you, I don't think I actually know the answer to this question either. I was just trying to think if I knew what you were going to say. Do you today use the Linux desktop for idealistic reasons or for purely pragmatic, practical reasons today? And is that different than when you first tried Linux? I I
4: think I've kind of come full circle. Uh you know, I grew up kind of playing with Windows. I remember trying to change the like Windows boot screen and breaking the family computer for a while, that kind of thing. And you quickly figure out like what you can and what you cannot change with Windows. And so Linux started out as just this like wonderful playground. And like I knew what open source was and I thought it was cool because I kinda had, like started trying to program, but it was it didn't mean a lot. I couldn't really use it to do any you know what I mean? Like I mean I could do a lot and I loved all this software, but it was like this is just fun. This and it let me like really deep dive. And I think somewhere in the middle there I really stuck around because... I mean, at some point I started going to school and, like, well, I mean, Linux was very important for that. You know, you can write a paper on just about any operating system. So I think it really... The the idol ideology, it really did... It really did sink in. Yeah. And, it you know, it made me... It made me want to try more distributions. It made me want to try to... You know, it, you, you can play with FreeBSD or something else. Look at like a little different ideology. But I think today... I don't think there's another platform where I could get what I need to get done. Like, it, there's definitely both parts. Like, both parts are very important. I think the ideology is – it's important. I think freedom is important. I think open source is important. But it's also just I need a, I need an operating system that is malleable and where I can change things. And, like, the ideology definitely informs that. But at someday, be it as, – as long as it is free, I think I can make it work.
0: Yeah. Okay, all right. So let's uh, let's bounce to the mumble room, and then I'll give you my thoughts. So, BC, I'll let you go first. Uh, you, uh, do you use it today for ideal- idealistic or practical reasons? And is that how you started using Linux?
5: Yeah. The so first time I installed Linux, it was like 15 years ago. Yes, coming directly from Windows, I started just wanted to check out what exactly it is. Right now. As I use Linux full-time, I'm just much more productive with it. However, it's not just productive because I try to use as little closed software as possible. Hmm. So, in, in reality, both.
9: Yeah.
4: See, it is but, an interesting thing there, too, because you can kind of reach a limit where you're like, well, I want to be free, and then sometimes you hit that area where you're like, well, my operating system yeah, is free, but but this application Windows is proprietary source. and I need it.
5: Yeah, I use Windows for some things. For example, game development, I use KVM with GPU pass-through, unfortunately.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, okay, all right, good. And uh, it sounds kind of like sort of a similar uh, similar situation. Uberpanda, I want to hear your thoughts. Uh,
5: yeah, so I started using uh, Linux um, because of uh, battery life reasons. Uh, my laptop on Windows lasted like one hour, and on, I just started using Arch Linux, and uh, it lasted for two and a half hours. So I used that. <laughs> and uh, then I understood what's, uh, what was free software, that kind of thing. So it became uh, an ideology. And now I think free software is good, and Windows is also a terrible operating system. So I use Linux for both reasons.
0: Yeah, yeah, interesting. I love it. I think that's pretty. I think that actually makes a lot of sense. Now, okay, Mr. Heaven, so it sounds like you've been around the block a couple of times, including over to the FreeBSD camp, and then ended back on Linux. So is that for idealism, or is that because it just made more sense, practically speaking?
9: Well, the reason why I went, or at least, let's say, during my first bit of open source adventures, of course I like the technical things. So I went into a, you know, adventure and benchmarking a whole bunch of file systems. I found XFS while I was on Linux, and I loved it. Thing is, my philosophy is closer to the BSD philosophy versus the Linux one. So, I actually went over to Desktop BSD and whatever that other one was, and FreeBSD, (laughs) and I went there for a while. Thing is, their XFS port wasn't up to stuff. It wasn't up-to-date enough. So even though I love FreeSP's philosophy of True freedom; it allows you to keep secrets if you want. Linux pretty much prevents you from keeping secrets if you, you know, regardless if you want to or not, other than the LGPL. So I went back to Linux because of XFS because all of my storage was XFS mm, and it didn't I like FreeBSD didn't actually you know provide what I needed. So that was that's, more stable.
0: That's a practical. That'd be a practical reason there.
9: Yeah, that is actually a practical reason, even though yeah. it's slightly philosophical
0: as well. Oh, man, that's so interesting. All right, uh, MiniMC, uh, your practical or idealism for your initial adoption of Linux and where you're at today?
1: So I wanted to know something new. I started with Linux SUSE 6.1. I just wanted to see something new. Mm -hmm. And all missing stuff was really hard to replace. And then from time to time, it became a feature so now Linux changed my whole workflow. So it stripped me down to the basics and <laughs> I'm much faster, much clearer in my workflow than I was before, I guess.
0: Interesting. Mm. Yeah, I know. Um, <clears throat> what's been interesting <clears throat> for me just on the workflow part is I've had the opportunity now of moving a couple of different types of workflows onto Linux. It started started uh, as just moving like desktop Microsoft workflow, like uh, Office and Outlook, getting that technology. running on Linux doing, and doing interacting with Windows file shares. And that workflow was a major workflow. And I, <clears throat> it took me a while. I mean, it took me a while to make that more efficient under Linux, right. to be able to justify running Microsoft applications under Linux. But I got there. I eventually got there. And then I moved – I went as a consultant. I had to move that workflow onto Linux uh, when I did IT consulting for a while. And then um, – you know, just here at Jupiter Broadcasting, there have been so many workflows that are are sort of – they start with the Mac and then I, I was like, I have to move this to Linux. And definitely one of the biggest ones for me was my unfilter clip editing and oh, workflow really? because that just – it started out as such a Mac-centric just couple of tools that I just hated using and it just was a mess. And moving that over to Linux and finding that to be – and, and being able to then use all of my you know, my, my traditional Linux skills on, on the command line and being able to take advantage of things like Quake and be able to take advantage of things like AvidMux and being able to install codecs that, that, you know, by just a command away, right. it made it very practical in that case to move that workflow over there. So that workflow element and, be, and just because I have a better workflow sometimes is, a, is enough of a reason. It's, and more options in how you make that yeah. workflow, right? Um, so, Rotten, I wanted to hear your practical or idealism.
8: Oh uh, well, I started uh, as a practicality thing because I was a beta tester for Windows Seven for about a year oh. before it was released. And uh, when it was, when it came to the point where they were about to release it, they said all beta testers now had to pay for it. So, and it wasn't like you know you had a certain amount of time to pay for it. They stopped your Windows Seven. Oh from yeah.
3: Oh yeah. So, that's
8: right. Yeah. So it was completely like just stripped away from me. And they they gave me I think like a week ahead of time. Like, <laughs> that you're you're going to lose the access to to run the system that you've been working for free to fix bugs and and you know find problems that we've we've obviously have not finished f- fixing yet. Wow. And uh, then it to the point where I was just like you know what out of spite screw it. And I was already dual booting at the time, but then I just kind of like just wiped it and went to the the Linux way and. Uh, been there the whole time, and now it's become both. Uh, I didn't really know what the ideology was at the time. Exactly. Now, right, yeah. It's hard yeah. to pick up on so it now, first. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's, it's more like the the ideology made me stay and the practicality made me come over. That's a good way to put it.
0: Landrash, I wanted to hear your uh, uh, ideology versus practicality, where you started and where you ended up.
4: Probably started in school with, uh, well, using it when I needed to for mm-hmm. courses and stuff. Mm-hmm. Going over to Practicality when I got used to it and basically getting the only way I could do things was with Linux because mm-hmm. I needed the tools.
8: I had the tools I needed there. I'm going to Windows for like shooting myself in the foot and doing it 10 times slower.
7: <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all been there. <laughs> He's finding that is pretty cool. Uh, okay, Mr. Ranger, how about yourself? Yeah, I, I'm another one that I started out practical because, uh, you know, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, worked at a computer shop where we needed easy internet sharing and IP chains was where it was at. Nice. <laughs> um, we, similar to your banking story, we had a point of sale system that was crashy and the networking on it was horrible. And oddly enough, the perfect solution was run to run it in DOSBox. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, And uh, even to this day, um, just a few months ago, um, uh, was an officiant at my sister's wedding, and I needed some random government form, and I was trying to figure out how to modify this the way that I needed, and Scribus was, you know, one command line install away. So I'd say, practically, um, you know, Linux is so easy to get software for, and so easy to find software that does, you know, whatever task you need that day, so... For me, way practical. Cool.
4: I I think that's an interesting thread, like in what what Swift one ten here is is commenting. Like it's interesting how I mean practical is so different. Like there's a lot of like enterprise cases or like, you know, if you're a creative type where it's less practical because the tools you need are proprietary and expensive. But there's a lot of other cases where the ideology of freely available makes for these if you're if you're underprivileged, if you just you don't you're out of budget for the quarter and you really have a problem that you want to get solved. Free software is there for you.
0: Yeah, yeah, it really is. I, uh, I, fact, I'm, I'm going to touch on that one. I'll, I'll share mine here at the end, but I, I'm glad W.W. wants to share his. So go ahead, W.W., what's yours?
5: So I started back in Red Hat 5.1 in 96, 97. Hmm. Yeah. Um, we didn't have, I didn't have lunch back then. I lived <laughs> in the desert, so I was lucky <laughs> enough to have friends that were into Linux and hmm. into ham radios and you can walk into software, et cetera, and buy Mandrake Linux or whatever. Or if you were lucky enough, you can have an independent ISP and order Linux online and get it. And so I think I should have been on it longer. I should have been on it before since Windows 3.1 because I always like to get dig into the system and figure out how it's running and what it's doing and how to change it or how to move it around. So for me, practically... It's been something that I've been striving to be uh, to be more on. Even though I've been uh, someone that dual boots and uh, still uses Windows for what I really need to do, um, it's ultimately where I hope I end up is more on Linux. And I'm not sure about the the idea ideological side. I like to be more pragmatic, so for me, it's more of a practical reason to be on Linux, and that makes more sense in the long term than being stuck on a closed system that you will never be able to open and openly use a way you believe it should Mm -hmm. be used. Mm -hmm. So long-term for me, I think it's going to be practical, but uh, maybe once I, um, I get a chance to, Read more into the ideological stuff, it will be both for me right yeah. now, so more of a practical reason you know I
0: think what i'm what I'm really picking up and it's, it's, it echoes mine is you sometimes you come at it from what feels like a very practical reason, and then you get there and you discover the philosophy. so I'll tell you you know mine really started as a need to solve a uh, a limitation of of windows Windows just simply at the time windows n t four was not good enough. For the job I right. needed it to do, and so I had to find another solution. It started very practical. I and you, what's, I think particularly for me, if you if you watch it, if you watch the back catalog of the Linux Action Show with this in mind, you can see where I switch from a pragmatist to more of an idealist. And now I, I'm on Linux simply because I can't stand to use any other platform. I couldn't. I couldn't imagine having to use uh, Windows as my daily driver. I don't know what I would do. Um, so I, you could claim that's practical, but I think really I'm here now for the idealism. And I'll tell you, for me, it took a while for it to sink in, mostly because there were so many problems I needed to solve. And it didn't really hit me until I started thinking about it in the way that affected my own bottom line. And then, then it clicked, and it was really in, in the sense of my clients kept getting screwed over by companies like Microsoft and many other proprietary companies that would just – extort them for support contracts that were yep. unbelievable and that would change and drop features at, at, at a moment's notice and completely leave them off on this old version that was no longer supported for a decade because the next version up completely w- uplifted their workflow. And what I, what I discovered over time, both in a sense of software and hardware and in contracts, is that vendor lock-in can be paralyzing for a oh, company yeah. sometimes. And so that was in which the lens that I first looked at the advantages that open that a core open source infrastructure gives you the kind of visibility into the long-term viability, or even the emergency eject lever of forking and maintaining right. it by hiring your own developer. It's a really which interesting inter- business case. for like You get it's a lot huge. of freedom there. It's huge because I can tell you, you can deploy your infrastructure on this, and worst case scenario, if they stop making this thing, you can go hire a developer, and that developer can continue the thing because all of the code is completely free and open source, and for an enterprise, that's not a crazy proposition. No, if they it's already a, have developers, problem or they can yes, hire one. Like yes, not and problem. if it's a core piece of their business that makes them money, they they like having that flexibility. And so it was with that perspective that looking at open source, the way that it would solve that problem, that I realized. Oh, shit. This is the killer feature. It's, it's not the great package management. It's not the stability. It's not the security. It's not the transparency. It's not all of the incredible minds that are and diverse opinions that are contributing to this. It's this fundamental open license, this GPL that is the actual killer feature of this platform. And what what it it took me a while to get there, but is now it is based upon that which I look at everything else. I I I, you you can't have a practical Linux desktop experience without the idealist without that GPL without that idealism that led to the GPL and the GNU stack. You can't have the full practical Linux desktop with which is a a sensible reason that we're all using it. It wouldn't exist without that. Mm -hmm. And so is once I once I sort of made that sort of transition, that revelation. I realized oh I'm actually I'm actually an idealist just and when I make decisions based on that, in the long run, those always tend to be the ones that pay out. And the one when I make a decision that's not oriented towards that, it tends to screw me eventually. Exactly. And it, that has been has bared out in my personal life for stuff I just use myself, and it's bared out in my professional life with my clients and whatnot. And you know, it, I'm I'm very 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 proud of the fact that I can go back to almost any of my clients and any of the Linux and open source solutions that I implemented are still maintainable and supportable today. That's awesome. And I you I cannot but proprietary solutions cannot work that way cannot do that it's literally not possible because aging them out is part of the process and locking you into their support path because that's where they make all of their money in the enterprise is part of the process and so it took that kind of that particular doorway in which I saw it then it really sort of lit up for me. Um, but my it was very pragmatic these two are you
4: know like i feel like a lot of people it's that 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 pragmatism especially if you're i feel like networking is a huge part where you're like i want my
0: internet gateway and i feel like it actually that's a more solid foundation because if you're just in it for the idealism then that idealism is going to last you as long until you want to watch something on netflix or you're going to watch a tv show i mean where do you draw the line at that point do you do you abandon all all proprietary lockdown media all together because you that's kind That's of pretty hard and maybe you do and maybe that works for you. But to me, it seems like that eventually after a certain amount of time, unless you're freaking Richard Stallman himself, you're going to give that damn eventually is going to break. And then what do you have if all you have is the idealism, right. If there's not the pragmatic thing, that you're also grounded with. Yeah. I, I feel like it's not quite as strong as a grip.
4: If you can't get anything done. Then what's the point?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's a fascinating topic. And it's a there's a couple It popped up a couple of times on Reddit uh, in the last couple of days. And so we thought we'd ask it here in the show. And I'd like to hear your stories too, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. Oh, please
4: go. We, that's yeah. a great forum.
0: I always enjoy those Linux desktop discussions. I could probably do it every single week. I know you guys would get sick of it, so I don't. But I freaking love it. Like I Just something about like having that conversation with uh, the virtual lug and Wes is super satisfying for me. You know what else is super satisfying? Seriously, saving a ton of money on my wireless. I I can't even believe what people pay. Ting is brilliant. Linux.ting.com is where you go to get $25 in credit or off a device, and then you only pay for what you use with no contract. No termination fee. They don't block updates. They're just simply on a mission to make mobile make more sense. They're backed by two cows, so they've been around forever. And it's so great to just pay for what you use. If you got Wi-Fi at home and work, you're going to be shocked with how much money you can save. And for me, what I love about it is I have a Ting CDMA and a Ting GSM Fi. <laughs> When I travel, I use whichever one works better and I just pay a little bit more that month for my data usage. It's not a big deal because all of the other 10 or 11 months out of the year, I'm not traveling and so it totally works out saving me tons of money and you can find out more by clicking on the Ting Savings Calculator. One of the other things I really love about Ting and with the holidays coming up, you know, you're gifting cellular service, you get like a $9 Ting GSM SIM and you want to put it in the stocking. I'm serious. Why not? $9 SIM cards? Yeah, it's really, with no contract nor the termination fee, just pay for what you use. That's seriously awesome. But you're giving it away to friends and family. You don't want to have to play tech support. Well, you don't have to worry about it. Ting has crazy great customer service. They have real human beings that sit on the phone and work with calling you.
1: Ting, this is Isabel speaking. How can I help you? Uh, hello? Th- thanks for calling Ting. This is Isabel speaking. How can I...
0: This is Isabella Ting People never believe it's a real person But it is And I think that's really kind of a cool service That Ting offers They have great prices Unbelievably cheap devices All the way up to the Cadillacs Or just the SIM You just get started by going to Linux.Ting.com And a big thanks to Ting For sponsoring the Unplugged program Now for the whole year Linux.Ting Com. Now there's a big moment for me personally in Linux Unplugged this year. That's when I gave Wes a challenge to get Arch Linux working on my 2013 MacBook Pro Retina by the end of the show. I was super skeptical because in the past, MacBooks have been such a headache. Well, Wes was up for that challenge. So the question is going to be coming in pretty soon because uh, rumors have it that uh, your friends in Cupertino will be releasing a new MacBook soon. Hey, oh, it's been about time. (laughs) Yeah, Jeez, it is ridiculous. And you know what's going to happen? The the, uh, current models, which are still perfectly usable, will go up on eBay, and people can buy them for a reduced price. Right. And uh, we have a pretty common question that comes into the show. How do you install Linux on the MacBook? Does it work? What should I know about? So this week...
4: Is it worth the amount of effort that might be required?
0: Have you ever done this before?
4: You know, I have, but it's been...
0: Oh, boy, probably three three years at yeah. least.
4: So this week...
0: Uh, Actually, I was
4: installing Debian.
0: <laughs> really? Yeah. Great. Uh, I'm going to see if by the end of the show, Wes can get uh, Arch Linux or maybe Fedora Linux, where we'll see, running on a MacBook. It's like a late 2013 model, I think. And we'll kind of give you a report of what it's like to try it. If he can get the dedicated graphics working, the wireless working, and we'll give you a review. So that way, some people out there, they just want that hardware. Yeah. And this is an old production rig that we have that's like, it's good. I'd like to see if you could leave... MacOS on okay, there because yep. I think a lot of people are going to want to do that based on the emails we've received. Yes, I, people want to do a boot, and I, I can understand become, that. Yeah,
4: absolutely. And so, if you
0: to do more updates, Wes, kind of I officially am handing you this Linux Unplugged branded thumb drive, which contains the latest official released Antigross image I'm sure it's from last month with the JB J- yeah. J- J- signing. Oh yeah, you? oh yeah, I checked it for sure. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure, absolutely. So there you go, Wes. Good luck to you. And oh, thank uh, you, sir. Uh, there is a. It is already partitioned into two separate. Well, there's a. The, the OS 10 partition, uh, because I've, I've played with Linux on there before, is, like, already shrunk down. And so there is, like, a – there's, like, right now I just put made it, like, fat or something for you that you can mess around with. So there you go, Wes. Oh, the challenge is officially launched. Uh, I wanted to mention uh, something that I think was well said and uh, started a, a conversation that I think probably wasn't necessary. But I wanted to give a shout-out to uh, Ninja Aaron who 23 hours ago created a, a Linux action show subreddit post saying a quick comment about the ButterFS coverage on the latest Linux action show. And um, <clears throat> that's where we discussed the fact that the official ButterFS project Twitter account recommended people use uh, ZFS mm-hmm. or ZFS. That's pretty wild. That was wild. And that, that our our story was really about the reaction to that. But, you know, he makes a great point. Uh, he says that uh, ButterFS is definitely having its issues, but he makes a couple of good use case. For butterfs in this post, and I, I guess I did want to mention, like, I'm not, I'm not necessarily uh, opposed to the idea of people that want to use butterfs on their laptop that has an SSD drive. Uh, I, I don't really think butterfs is like the devil file system. I, I what yes, really, totally. really, where I have an issue with the butterfs advocacy. It, it really comes down to when people try to advocate that it should be used in a business-slash-enterprise setting, however you want to describe that. Um, I started in IT in the, in the year 2000,
5: mm-hmm.
0: about 99. Well, actually, really, actually, that's not true. 97 was when I actually officially got paid uh, in, uh, in IT when I was uh, – I was at that time desktop tech support. But one of the things that I had two there was interesting. I had two challenges over my career that were uh, very much about data retention, and then I had en- and then I had many challenges beyond that. But there were some that were very particular, legally and you know mandated, uh, very 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 carefully audited use cases uh, that I can't even really go into. And in these scenarios, you know, back then we used we used very very cutting edge file systems that were very risky. Uh, m- mostly because that was all that was available at the time. Had to, yeah. And so it's not that I'm also like uh, some holier-than-thou uh, soapboxer who says, "Oh, you should never use butterfs because you're a lunatic." I mean, I've been the guy that's been putting a file system that's a little edgy in production. Yeah, I've on a lot of my systems, but I, there is sort of, I guess, there is sort of this. Um, it feels to me like there is this failure to look within a bit to sort of self-analyze and say, "We've made a mistake here." Uh, And so I wanted to acknowledge that while I have been sort of anti-Butterfest in the last few weeks as there's been more flaws – I also think there's many useful use cases for it, and I wanted to give a shout out to Mr. Ninja Aaron for uh, kind of you know very well stating that case and making me reflect on it a bit and go, you know, I, I myself, if I for that for, actually for this you know for this MacBook here, I would absolutely consider ButterFS on there. Uh, you should have said that like uh, no, it's two fine. minutes. What did you? Ago. What
4: did you, what did you you're go getting with? the XT4 just because I figured you wouldn't mind if it was. I uh, don't mind. A safe and solid no, choice. No, so
0: you're actually that far, huh? It's installing so right now. So then, in order for you to be that far, that means you got wireless working. Oh yeah. Ah. Now, that wireless fix, thats this is one of the interesting things, though, is that wireless fix will not persist once you reboot into the main OS after it's been installed.
4: No, but uh, maybe I'll be smart enough to cheroot into and uh, <laughs> install that preemptively. Now Thank that you I for the that. reminder.
0: <laughs> Damn it. You know, Wes, I'm actually pretty impressed that you got the Wi-Fi working uh, without any other f- connectivity. So what did you do? What did you do? Because this is going to be the number one challenge is these, these MacBooks. Any recent MacBook doesn't have an Ethernet port. And everybody that's going to be doing this is going to run into this problem where they're not going to have Wi Fi when they get in a live environment. So, what did you do to enable networking without having a connection?
4: Well, I had conveniently, we're installing Antigross here, and I had a Arch Linux little laptop right here. So, I just uh, ran make package, built the package, copied it on a USB drive, <laughs> installed it, mod probed the uh, broadcam drivers, and away we went. Well played, Which sir. I was very pleased, everything worked perfectly. Uh, well played. Network manager picked it right up. We were on the network.
0: Damn. And also, I'm impressed that you remembered the Wi-Fi password, too, because I didn't tell you what that was, and you still... Good job. Uh, anybody have thoughts on ButterFS in the mumble room before we uh, move on to just a, a quick shout-out I have?
4: I'll just say I'm excited for uh, FS. We'll see when that's actually usable, but...
0: Is that a tree kind of, yeah, like, RAM-based? that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Tease me a little bit.
4: Let's see there's actually a Patreon for it. Are you maybe,
0: serious? Maybe Wimpy, it... why are you
4: looking forward to it? Let's throw it right there. Oh my god. Maybe okay. I'll explain it better than I could probably. Well, well B-cache
2: is something that uh, B-cache is something that I've used to uh accelerate uh spinning drives by putting uh a B-cache partition on solid state to effectively create sort of a uh a level 2 cache. This and the is authors great. behind Bcash realized that they were very close to actually having a full <laughs> yeah, exactly. block file system. So they're going the next step to implement it as a copy-on-write file system.
0: They only have 38 patrons. I feel like maybe we could bump that up a little bit for mm-hmm. them. So here is so it's going to be a copyright-on-write fi- copyright file system like ZFS or ButterFS. They, they aim for good performance. They say significantly better than existing copy-on-write file systems. Comparable to the performance of Extended 4 or XFS. See, Hello. We, re- we really need this. So just oh, wow. Ourselves. Metadata and data checksumming multiple devices including replication and other types of RAID, caching, compression, encryption, snapshots, and scalable. It's been tested up to 50 terabytes and will eventually scale higher. Already working on stable with, mini community, uh, with a small community of users. This... Is super exciting. And what I really like about it is – and this is where I was trying to get to in the conversation on Sunday, but I I, I think I went off track is ButterFS, when you look at the model, almost seems like this this funding model makes a lot of sense. It's just they would need way more support Mm -hmm. because it really is a full-time job. It is a lot of work to do this properly. And this is – this is great. So Bcash, I'll put a link to the uh, Patreon in the uh, in the show notes. So that could be really cool. I'll check it out more after the show. Okay, Wes. I heard you rebooting during that spot. I heard you. How's it going over right?
4: there? It's installed. Now we're working on getting it to show up in the bootloader. Yeah. Do you have a preference? Do you want refined? Do you not? I, I don't know. I don't know what what's the difference. I, this is this is all new to I me. I mean, you can get it to to work with the the native EFI
0: bootloader. That seems good.
4: Okay, but you can also install Refind, which is kind of just a nice better.
0: Bootloader. What would make it easier to get the Nvidia graphics working? Because that's, that's that's part a good of the question. That's part of that's this. a good question. Because I think that's like a kernel boot parameter. Because yeah. otherwise, I think it uses the Intel graphics by default. I believe so. And th- so I want to talk about why this is happening because this is some crazy bull crap. I mean. I, actually, I will be, f- in full disclosure, I will be honest with you, um, the number one question we have ever gotten into the Linux Action Show and Linux Unplugged, and I am literally talking since episode one, over a decade ago, of Linux Action Show, the number one question we have gotten is, how do I get Linux working on a MacBook? And we answer it from time to time, but we never really fully mm-hmm. go into it, and so we're, it's one of these things... That we're simply sick and tired of getting the question asked. <laughs> and so we just don't address it a lot. And I was I was um I've been using the entraware Apollo as my daily driver at home pretty much since my review and absolutely loving it. And it is light, right, the battery that, that lasts for hours. It's 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 small enough that I can carry it and just bring it to work when I need it and not have to worry about bringing the power adapter and it's it is a very nice machine, and I have all my stickers all over it. With a, I, just, I really enjoy it. But then No Man's Sky came out. And that damn game, <laughs> I can't help but love it. And it requires OpenGL 4.5 support oh. and SSE 4, I think, and basically dedicated graphics. And that's where the MacBook came in. Yeah, right. And then I connected with, okay – So I I sort of visualize myself as an audience member. I've either bought a used MacBook, I've inherited a MacBook, or I'm sick and tired of macOS, and Apple is not getting around to updating this thing. And one of the things that I know from previous testing experiences is that Linux runs a hell of a lot faster on the MacBook than OS X does. So the fact that this is a 2013... Is gonna feel. It's gonna feel. I, I estimate under Linux, probably gonna feel like a brand new machine. Like it's probably gonna feel very fast. I mean, it's got the PCI SSD in there. Ooh. It's got dedicated. Seven, yeah, I thought about using F two FS or whatever. Yeah, it's got dedicated uh, NVIDIA graphics. It's it's got a. It's got a wonderful retina screen on it. It's, it's a really – it's a pretty nice laptop. Yeah, it is a nice laptop. And people generally accept that the MacBook is built well. So the question has always been how reasonable would Linux be on the MacBook? Because my intention is – and I know this sounds ridiculous – is to then install Wine <laughs> and then install No Man's Sky. I, eventually, yeah. I plan to also put um, OBS on there and do uh, some broadcasting from it because it does have a four-core processor as oh, well. Oh, sure.
4: Yeah, that would work well.
0: Yeah. So um, that's where that was sort of the impetus for myself to want to try Linux on the MacBook, and then that sort of sent us down the path of trying to figure out well, what do you need to know before you put Linux on a MacBook? And it definitely seems to be one of the things you have to get your head around is what model of MacBook do you yes. have? And it, this is somewhat not obvious since Apple just calls everything MacBook, and if you have macOS on your system, you can actually ascertain this by going into the About Mac system, and I have a screen, I have a screenshot of this, of this in the show notes. You go in there, and it'll tell you, like, it's a late model something something. You Google MacBook Pro late model 2013, and it will tell you the specific, like, model number. It's, like, it's 11, 2 or something like that, right, Wes? Am I? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, and there's, like, other ones. Like, older ones are, like, you know, different. So it's 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 a major model number, comma, minor model revision. And you find the you can find, like... Arch Wiki entries, which for mine I've linked in the show notes, that specifically tell you about the little t- kind of esoteric tweaks you have to make to make it work on your particular MacBook model. And I, as I look at this, I think this could be a this could be a really great Linux box if if all of this works out. So I, I'm I'm kind of really interested to see where it goes. I'll try the Thunderbolt out and then I can report back to the audience on uh, on some of my adventures with it. I also was kind of wondering i was kind of wanted to pick wimpy's brain and ask him if he hears many people in the ubuntu mate community that are running it on Uh the macbooks because that also crossed my mind as a possible distro if we couldn't get arch working
2: yeah it does crop up from time to time um mostly in uh discussions in the ubuntu mate community and if it's something that you're interested in doing then that is the place to first search because it's a discourse so you can find the right discussions easily and if your model hasn't been discussed then start a new thread and there are a few people in there that uh, can assist you with that it doesn't come up a lot um, it comes up a bit but not not loads it's certainly not a major platform I'm seeing people no. use Ubuntu Mate on
0: I, I, good. I don't know. I just don't at this point I don't know if I feel like recommending it. Although maybe I'll feel differently after we try this. I do see it as like it could so a couple of things have changed recently. First of all, um on based on some of my reading, the 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 roadblocks of getting the wireless working, the Broadcom wireless, have been significantly reduced. But the big change, which is in the more recent kernels, been around for a little while now, but if you depends on your distro there is built-in kernel level support with the synaptics driver for the macbook touchpad or trackpad or whatever you want to call it and that was something that used to be a sticking point on my particular model have you had to do anything to get the trackpad working or has it been working
4: uh no it's just been working i mean it's not quite as nice as the default one but i've got scrolling i've been impressed the media keys have working even in live media uh
0: what uh, about the? the is, I
4: can see the high DPI support GNOME working nicely. Really, like you can see the tiny text on the console boot up, and then yeah. once you've uh, got to the login screen, really,
0: yeah. did GNOME just automatically go high DPI? Mode? Yeah, no way, really. Yeah, at least in the no, uh, um Now, um, what about the keyboard backlight?
4: That's a great question. Is that working?
0: Can you turn that on?
4: Oh yeah, and it even has the like scrollable GNOME menu. Shut up. Menu. Yeah. Shut up. Uh-huh. Really? Yeah.
0: Wow, that's actually pretty – look at Gnome like kicking ass on that thing. Yes. So are you in, the, in, are you in the live media right now or are you in the uh, installed me- uh, uh, OS? Well, now I'm in the installed OS. Actually, I have to review how, how it actually got here. I
4: was just kind of <laughs> troubleshooting that, but yeah. I rebooted again, and uh, I expected it to go into Mac OS
0: X, huh. but it went right into yours. So This is really going to be nice to be able to play No Man's Sky at home if you get this working with. Yeah. I'm pretty excited. <laughs> All right, so where are you at with that thing? Uh, oh, I've
4: got a booting I'm making sure the bootloader loader is actually working and uh getting the Wi-fi back up nice all right let's we'll go see d- about that
0: uh, proprietary driver jB titles JB titles so you this is book?
2: this is a MacBook with an Nvidia chip in it
0: yes yeah I think it's a 750 I think or
2: a 760. And is this a new computer or one? No, no, no. It it's, a, it's,
0: a, it's one that I used uh, back in like uh, before, I think even before I hired Rekai uh, for editing. And then once Rekai came on board, he had... 750M. Yeah, okay, 750M. He got the dedicated Mac, and then this sort of became like every time I wanted to do a comprehensive video editing project, this was my machine I would go to, and still do to some degree, but I've been transitioning to KDN Live more and more. So I've had right. this sitting around, and it's a late 2013 model. That I, and I actually think with an old MacBook, you have a better success rate with a slightly older model, which is kind of bears out why I think you'll probably see more of these showing up on eBay when the new model comes out because it's literally been too long. And so they will probably throw their old models on eBay, and you might have Linux users who want a particular build quality of a machine grabbing these and snapping these up perhaps.
2: So this is a Pro 15 of some description, is it?
0: Yes. Yeah, it's a a late 2013 MacBook Retina 15-inch with a 750M and the 1 terabyte SSD, PCI SSD, and 16 gigabytes of RAM. And Wes, did you decide on a bootloader? Uh, well, right, yeah, right now it's
4: just using the built-in EFI. So, like, when you hold down the option key or whatever it is, the... That's what I'm working on confirming for Interesting. you. Interesting. But uh, we might just install uh, Refind anyway. Yeah, I'll look at you. Because look it's at
5: awesome. You.
4: Uh, look at it that. It would
5: be int- it would be interesting to compare battery
9: life between the systems, yes, it you know, TLP yes. installed and all. It would really interest me.
0: Yeah, I absolutely do. Because they say Linux that.
9: is not well optimized for these well, kind of computers. Well,
0: to be fair, the cards are definitely stacked against Linux. However, I was reading the Arch Wiki and it appears that LM Sensors now has some support. But see, I, honestly, the, the core issue why I've never really been super compelled to do this uh, is the way Macs are built. They are Intel machines, absolutely, but they use a completely different power management and, and cooling management architecture than a standard desktop PC. And and honestly, if I were Apple, I would too because ACPI and all of that is just total shit. So what Apple did is they created the SMC controller. And the SMC controller is both hardware and software, and the software component is only available in Mac OS X. There's no open source equivalent to it because Apple holds all of the information And the SMC controller is used by Mac OS X to escalate the fans with CPU usage. So the OS is constantly monitoring the demands and predicted demands – the predicted demands, if you can can even believe that – of the OS workload based on your average workload. And it preemptively throttles the thermal management of the Mac based on whatever metrics that Apple has come up with with their black magic. And there's just literally no way to translate that to Linux or Windows. It's, it's the same problem for bootcamp users who decide to run Windows 7 to 10 on their Mac hardware. They have the same exact issue. And, um, in the past, what I had done is I got a program called SMC Control. And SMC Control is a Mac OS program. What you do is you can use SMC Control to hard set your fans to a certain RPM. So that way at oh, least there's nice. there's some thermal cooling. Because otherwise what happens is without the SMC controller kicking in via software ignition, then the thermal limits of the actual hardware are what dictates yeah, the fan not usage. What you want. No. So when you actually get to the full thermal limits of the Intel I seven processor, that's when the fans cool. When you get to the thermal limits of the GPU, that's when the fans kick on. So by using SMC controller in Mac OS ten I could set the fans at a steady like 5,500 5, RPM or 4,000 RPM, depending on my workload, and then restart in the Linux. If you shut down, then the SMC controller reset. And so if I booted from a cold boot right into Linux, I have no fan control. But nice. if I if I would first boot into Mac OS and then use SMC control, which is a third-party utility that only supports most Macs, and then use that to set the (laughs) fan, and then reboot from that into Linux, I could have proper thermal management. So uh, one of the things that appears to have changed since I had to do that rigmarole was LM sensors appears to have some capacity to control the thermals on the MacBook now. And so that could make a significant difference in battery life. And it's absolutely an area I'm going to test versus macOS, um, whatever the current release is.
2: So I was just looking on eBay in the UK at that spec and they still sell used for around 1200 pounds which is about 1500. Isn't it amazing?
0: See I think uh, Apple has always managed to have super good resale because they only at best release a model a year it seems. Yeah. So so you, you you just if it's on it's sort of it's sort of like there's by their, by their apparent nonchalant attitude towards their hard, Mac hardware customers, they have created a very robust aftermarket value for the MacBook. Um, and but, but every time a new one comes out, everything shifts down a bracket. So that, I believe, this MacBook will probably shift down to about $800 once the new MacBook comes out in September. And this, a Core i7... So oh, is that still a current model, even though it's been no,
9: for a few years no no
0: no no but because but the current model will shift down a price range and because this is a model or two below the current model it'll this is going to come down significantly to about 800 bucks i that's my estimation i could be totally wrong but that seems to be the history is because this is like two models or three models behind this is going to be the this is going to be the real bottom basement like still get an i7 still get thunderbolt still get retina still get pcie uh storage but under $1,000 easily will be, this, I believe that'll be the price of this machine. And at that price range, it almost becomes reasonable to experiment with Linux on it and just see, well, what the hell? Because I, you know, I it's a it's a six to eight hundred dollar MacBook depending on spec, and it, well, at the end of the day, if it doesn't work, I could just do Mac OS ten with Linux and VMware, and so I think you're going to have a lot of Linux users that will pick this thing up because they the cult of hardware uh, worship around the MacBook, they'll pick this thing up, they'll try putting Linux on it, and so I was like, this is probably something that I'm going to get a whole new wave of emails about. <laughs> I'm kind of preemptively getting that, yeah. yeah. I'm still rocking Arch on the MacBook. I'm dual-booting Final Cut OS and Arch, and I'm keeping it up to date every single week. I love it. Now, let's stop right here and reflect on the fact that Vim's birthday gave a moment for us nano-users to unite. <laughs> let's uh, let's celebrate uh, a, a very important birthday that almost just passed us right by. I know, right? But we did manage to catch it, and it's something that we we all can relate to. It's at a milestone. The 25th birthday where Vim's car insurance finally goes down in price. Happy, happy birthday to Vim. Now
3: this is a rowdy crowd. Yeah. Come on, guys. You're in my house. Oh, hold on. That's right. I, uh, nah, 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 nah.
0: Over 25 oh, no, years no, 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 ago, no, no, no. over 25 years ago it was started. No, 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 you see, the problem was is that Bram, he wanted something like Vim for his Amiga. He was a big user of uh, VI. I'm sorry, I should say VI. He wanted something like VI. But they didn't have anything like that on the Amiga. So in 1991, on November 2nd, he released the first version of VI, VI, Imitation Edition. After three years of working on it, the VI Imitation Edition, two years later, with the version 2.0, so the first version took three years, second version took two years, two years later, with version 2.0 of Vim, the feature set had exceeded that of the original VI, or VI. Uh, And so they changed the acronym, acronym from Vim Imitation to Vim Improved. Isn't that great? That is really cool. That is really cool. That that is, is, you know,
4: that is a big milestone. 25th birthday? An indispensable tool. I mean, and think about where it's gone and how
0: widely it's deployed today. Thank God we have Nano. I mean, what? No, I...
9: I,
1: Come on. And they still don't know how semantic versioning works.
0: (laughs) I I used (laughs) Nano once in a video uh, recently, and I've been getting crap about it for two weeks. Chris, you use Nano?
4: You just got to say it's for the new Linux users. You know, you're trying to be friendly. What are you doing?
0: What are you doing? That's where they. I thought you would use Vi or Emacs. Why are you using Nano? <laughs> because I just, I just. I think it's nice. What are you doing, man? Nano-W, nano dash W. Nano Nano dash Nano Tac W. Forever, See, I don't even know what TacW does. Right. <laughs> Enlighten us. Oh man, it's just it's, it just supports uh, wide okay, uh, wide characters it. without cutting it off. <laughs> so it's like when well, you got config files, guy. That's all it does. Uh, but you know, I just I, I actually, if I'm editing the file, I don't know what this is. Mm-hmm. If I'm editing the file, I tend to use Vim because I got like my colors and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But if I'm viewing a file and I don't want to use cat. Or more, or whatever. Like, if I don't want to just like look at the file, I just want to just like for some reason open it up but not edit it. Like, when I'm going to look at a file and I'm going to dig around but I'm not going to use sudo, I use nano for some reason. Hmm. And then when I'm going to edit the file with root privileges, I sudo vi then the file. Okay. Isn't that weird? It is weird. But mm-hmm. I mean, I can see, you know, if it's just something you've learned in your fingers now and you just type it, right? So it's like the one is my viewing editor mm-hmm. and one is my editing editor not your editor. viewing edit- editor I know, it's is a so consistent stupid. idea it's but it's so dumb cuz i do every now and then when i'm already in there and now i'm like well I'll just change that real quick right, right, and then yeah. <laughs> and then it's like i go to i go to save and it's like
4: and you, you don't have that you new don't have the privilege cuz you didn't sudo of using pseudo t
0: to get out of it right <laughs> Yep. it's so suck so. it's so stupid but it's habit it's habit from from a decade ago when i was revolting and wanted i wanted to find a new text editor and i had this i had this uh Boss, who was the only other Unix slash Linux oh. guy in the office with me, and we would prank each other constantly. Um, and so I remember, like the, I had replaced Vim. Like when he would use when he would use vi, it would echo like "Bruce stinks" or something like that on Bruce is a monkey nice. on the. Or, and we did things like we'd set up cron jobs to send system-wide messages uh, on the hour. So every user logged into the system would see Bruce smells like a monkey and things like that. Like, we'd mess around with each other. And I remember Nano was sort of the prank we would use. Like, to we'd set up an alias to so things would lo- run, launch in, in Nano or whatever. Like, there was all these. So I think that's where it started. And then it just sort of became... Because I got pranked. I think I just stuck yeah. with it. And he's just like, well, I'm not going to let this... Screw this. I'm not, not going to let this defeat me. I will me. use this editor.
7: that's <laughs> yes, exactly. I and
0: mean, it is a fun editor. Uh, and then now here I am years later and I'm getting crap from the internet. And <laughs> it's like, okay, you guys
3: what don't understand. how a lot of stories
0: end. <laughs>
3: yeah. So uh, I just pasted you a, a command you can run, which shows the most <laughs> popular 10 commands in your bash history. That's oh, awesome. that's a great one. And, and for me the top five... Number one is LS by a factor of two above oh, the true. next thing I've ever run, which is CD, right? <laughs> so LS and CD, and then sudo, which is not unreasonable on Ubuntu where you don't get a root account by default. Yeah, And then the next one is my editor of choice, which I'm not going to name because I'll just get hate. Ah. Um, and then there's other stuff after that. But yeah, LS and CD and sudo, they seem like reasonable things to have at the top of your list.
0: So
2: you, I, th- th- I think you should say, and we we can debunk a myth here, well, I'll go I first. I should tell you, my, tell you my, my, my favorite editor is Nano. Oh! On the yes. oh yeah. well, were you guys dead? Were you,
0: you, guys come on. Were you here nano. earlier in the show where I admitted to getting crap for the last two I, weeks because I used I, Nano?
2: I heard you mention it, and <laughs> I wasn't here to back you up, but I've been using <laughs> Nano forever. And this is, this is mostly because the first Unix system I used... Uh, Pine was the email yes, client. Yes. And consequently, um, Pico was the oh editor. My okay. God. Pico, so, yes. hard, hard code and nano is a Pico clone. <gasps> so, hard coded into my DNA is all the key bindings for nano. And I knew that. I knew that these- was the reason I liked you,
3: Martin. <laughs> <laughs> that must be it.
2: <laughs> and I all these about people Pico. that say that, you know, Vim and Vi, it's so powerful and there's all these key bindings. Well, there's all these key bindings in nano as well. Um, and if you know them, it's just as just as fast and productive.
0: I love you. That is amazing. I forgot about Pico, and that absolutely, in Pine. Yes, <laughs> yes. All right. So is it Nano for you too, Poppy? Then I take it. I, uh, I. Yep. All right. Wow. Now JDA. I think I saw that go by. Uh, you also use Nano.
4: Yes, I also use Nano, and I'll say as a visually impaired Linux user. Um, yeah, I'm low. So it just it's, it's a lot more hmm. user-friendly when you're zoomed
8: in to a pretty high degree on a monitor than the alternatives out there, and just as someone who's tried all the different ones in an accessibility
4: standpoint, Nano takes the cake, and I just wanted to throw wow. my two cents in there. I can't
0: believe we started this show out with me admitting to all the crap I was getting, and uh, oh, Ben, you use Nano as well? Yeah, man. Look at you, N-I-O. nobody
3: stood up, nobody yes. said anything. up <laughs> Nano.
0: There we
9: go. Yeah. The wrong has been righted.
6: Wait a minute. (laughs) You see, guys, I am visually impaired, too. I have to wear glasses because I have a stigmatism and light problem. And truthfully, I just got to use Nano because of my sight (laughs) and because... You know, I also have autism, so it's kind of hard for me to wrap my head around other others. So. Yeah, so...
3: you yeah. don't have to justify it. Just embrace it. That's, That's right. right. Yeah, nano I user. love the nano. It's fine.
0: Here's some funny follow-up from that Nano Users Unite episode. Since episode 170 weeks ago, I'm still getting emails and trickle tweets about other nano users who are coming out in their love for nano. We truly have united, which is... I don't know what that is. It's funny, if nothing else, I guess. I... <laughs> I don't know I don't It's like a, I, I'm not sure We need Now we need to support some sort We need to form like some sort of support group I guess, right? <laughs> Alright, well that brings us to the end I hope this wasn't your first experience For the Unplugged program Because this is not how this show normally goes I don't normally have a, a fireplace behind me If you're listening, I have a fireplace behind me I don't normally have presence In the studio We don't normally play clips of our own show It's not really how this show Actually, coming. If this is your first time watching, this might have been the perfect episode because you now kind of get, I- get an idea, a feel for what we talk about. You can submit contact at LinuxActionShow.Reddit.com and share the subreddit with Linux Action Show. You can go to com slash contact and find out when we're live at the calendar page. Thanks for being here. See you next week. And happy holidays.